Well, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Failure Peace Theater. We are firmly into the month of November and excited to bring you a, another week of film discussion. And this one, whew, it's a doozy. Um, because we are discussing The Mummy. No, not that one. No, no, not that one. But that one, as in the 2017 Mummy. And as always, I am your amiable co-host, Tim. Joining me is... Catherine. And that's right. We are here to discuss the Tom Cruise-led Sophia Butella Mummy-wrapped masterpiece. That is Alex Kurtzman's The Mummy 2017. That's right. The film that built zero franchises, but they tried, <laughs> uh, and and pretty much destroyed the quote unquote dark universe before it ever had a chance to blow up into existence. The Big Bang didn't even fire in the dark universe before it was swallowed by the black hole that is Hollywood accounting. <clears throat> and I can't wait to talk about this movie. Oh my god. I had not seen this. You said I should see it and and now I have. I did. <laughs> I did. I perhaps should see it was the wrong statement. Probably is. Um it's not a should see, but it I mean it it definitely falls into that category of a slow motion cinematic train wreck. Yeah. Decisions being made. Why? Who made them? Why were they made? Who appeared on the, the set and said, you know what we should do? We should have the mummy's sarcophagus be in Iraq. Because it's an active war zone, and that's how we can justify why Tom Cruise is there. Because we can't come up with a better idea for Tom Cruise to be in Egypt. Remember when we were just worried about why Brendan Fraser was in Egypt? I do. I do remember that. And, uh, you know, he was a member of, like, the French Foreign Legion, which was surprisingly okay. Like, that was fine. I bought that. But then you would have to make it a period piece. And this was a, this is a mummy for today. This is a mummy for now. A mummy for the right? modern man. <laughs> That's right. Let's. It's a mummy film that we can divorce completely from the original mummy, which was made as a culturally insensitive artifact that took the, the sacred burial rites of an ancient civilization and turned it into a stupid thing. Yay. That's what this mummy is all about. <laughs> covering that up with a beautiful sheen of Tom Cruise smile and pretending like it didn't happen and being 100% okay with that. Yay. That's what we're here to do. And instead, we'll turn it into a C-tier action movie. Boom. Done. I think C-tier is generous. Is that, yeah, that's pretty generous. <laughs> Maybe D-minus tier. I mean, there's a couple of decent wire pulls in this. A few explosions that don't look terrible. but It looks like an older movie. It doesn't look like it was made in 2017. It looks like it was made in 2012. 
Yeah, it looks like a 2012 action movie for sure. Like there's nothing, there's nothing about this that feels modern or exceptional or interesting. Um, it's it's just there. Um, I, I don't remember where I heard this. I, I might have come up with it on my own, but I doubt it. I I think the best way to describe this film is that it is a movie that your grandpa will watch on TNT on a Sunday afternoon several years from now. And when it's finished, he will say, that was okay. That's, that's fair. What, that's what this movie is. That is, that is this movie in, in a nutshell, is just the realization that you kind of half watch it, requires zero investment, and at the end of it, you just sort of go, well, that was a thing that took place. That happened. <laughs> it was fine. Um, but we're getting ahead of ourselves, aren't we? <laughs> so let's let's talk a little bit about uh, Ye old Failure. Uh, if you haven't seen the 2017 Mummy, the synopsis is a little something like this. Uh, Tom Cruise, whose character's name is Nick Morton, I mean, a, a was a regular man. Name. That's right. He's a, he's just a guy, he's just a regular guy. Tom Cruise is just a regular guy. I don't please believe don't know that if you're aware of this. <laughs> yes, he's just a regular guy, just regular, normal, everyday concerns, thoughts, feelings, emotions. I don't want worry about to it. know who who made that possible for Tom Cruise. Like who looked at him and said he can play an everyman. Um, I, I want to say that it's his very large producing arm that is somehow able to fund very bad projects over and over and over again uh, in exchange for him starring in them. So he, Tom Cruise is a, a he's, he's an American soldier who is also a, a treasure hunter who goes into ancient burial sites for other societies and steals all their shit and then sells it to the highest bidder and forcefully makes his hapless comrades help him and while performing this totally normal absolutely every man act of pillaging ancient burial sites he somehow unearths the mummy who this time is a vengeful former Egyptian princess who got really pissed off at her dad for sleeping with a girl. A very horny woman. <laughs> and and she needs a man to complete something and do something. She is looking for a man. <laughs> and, and and Tom Cruise is that man. Yeah, of That's course he is, because he's an every man. Because uh, even though he's he's like sixty five, uh, you know, you're twenty two year old mummy. Yeah, yeah, all about it. All about it. Although I must say, you know, I think his main love interest in this one is like in her late thirties. So I mean, we're getting we're getting close. I mean, you know. Uh, but anyway, uh, has stopped mummy. I, it doesn't matter. None of it matters. But that's what it is. Uh, if you if you want to watch the mummy, you don't. don't. <laughs> uh, you can probably find it somewhere I'm sure somebody's trying to stream this thing so they can earn back another 15 bucks against its horrific horrific budget 
But uh, yeah, uh, it's sort of like, you know, take the Brendan Fraser mummy movies and remove all of the fun and then remove the like beautiful desert photography and then remove Brendan Fraser and then remove Rachel Weisz and then remove everything about it that's good. And then add Russell Crowe and have the mummy. <laughs> that's this movie. But also, Russell Crowe is um, here. <laughs> that's right. Don't forget about Russell Crowe playing Dr. Henry Jekyll. Uh, why? And Mr. Edward Hyde. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get into it. Don't worry. Uh, but so the, the failure of this is that, um, or I guess the story of this film is that Universal, like pretty much every other movie studio, including Warner Brothers, was looking at that Marvel, right? It's like 2013, Avengers had come out, and everybody's going like, hmm, hmm, hmm. We want, we want a piece of that Marvel pie. We want to we wanna dip our, our chubby little chubby little stubby fingers into that marvel pie and take out just a little bit of apple and just mm, 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 mm. we want a bit of that and Everybody so some does. executive some executive at universal was going around going like what what do we got guys and then you know most people were like i don't i don't know uh 47 ronin uh -huh. got that do you remember that one? And it was like, no, don't be stupid, Steve. That movie was terrible. And then somebody in the back, probably an intern, was like, what about the monster movies? And they were like, oh, the monster movies. You're a you genius. Have a connected universe. And, and then they launched into this. Now, a lot of people put this as the first movie in the Dark Universe series. And it, and it is the first one to have that branding on it. But this was not the first movie to launch or attempt to relaunch the, the Universal Monster franchise. That hat hangs on the very impressive hook that is Dracula Untold, uh -huh. uh, starring Luke Evans. Uh, which is, is a thoroughly mediocre film as well. Uh, it, is, it is offensive in its inoffensiveness. Uh, it's it for a Dracula film. It has very little blood, which is an interesting choice. <laughs> um, and once again, it tries to frame Dracula as the hero, which is the problem with this movie as well, is that it attempts to take the monster and make the monster the hero, um, which sometimes works. Don't get me wrong. But mm, does not it work here. Appear. It does not work here. Uh, and if anything, this movie is is the story of how the mummy becomes the hero. And uh, yeah, it's it's rough. So this was the film, not unlike the the beautiful visage of Helen of Troy. It was meant to launch a thousand films in the dark universe, cinematic universe of universal <laughs> pictures. Doesn't the fact <laughs> that it's universal make it international? 
It does, yes. It was the universal universe of universes, and uh, it just didn't really go anywhere. Um, and they pitched it as such, that which was, if, if anything, it was part of the problem, is that the marketing around this film wasn't really focused on this film. Uh, very famously, Universal released a, a sort of heads-up picture of all of the people that were going to be involved in this new Dark Universe project. So we had Javier Bardem, who was going to be Wolfman, I believe. We had uh, one Johnny Depp, who was going to be the Invisible Man. Uh-oh. He, he's already the Invisible Man now. <laughs> Oops. <clears throat> um, they're not even going to let him play Grundlebob in that Fantastic <laughs> Beasties movie. Sorry, Johnny Depp. Sorry, Johnny Depp. I'll miss your portrayal of the one-eyed, weird Grundlebob man. I was really looking forward to your third stab at it. See if <laughs> interesting would happen. Um, but yeah, so, uh, Johnny Depp was going to be the invisible man. Of course, Russell Crowe, who's in this movie was going to be Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, who was from what I understand intended to be the, the Phil Coulson of this little cinematic universe who would, you know, tiptoe his way through all of the films and, you know, do whatever. Uh, I don't even remember who, because they recast Dracula. I don't even remember who they recast that because it wasn't going to be Luke Evans again, uh, somebody else, but it, it, it literally doesn't matter and i'm not even going to look because it didn't happen and it's not going to happen no good came and of it's this fine <laughs> um so this film was directed by uh alex kurtzman longtime fan of the show um, and friend of the show and whipping boy of the show um because, you know, I, I don't talk much, you know, we haven't had opportunity to talk much about things like Star Wars or Star Trek, but, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a Star Trek guy. Uh, mm -hmm. These days, I would probably say I'm more of a Star Trek guy than a Star Wars boy, um, although I, I do have affection for them both. And I've spent the last seven, eight well, if you include all the way back to the Star Trek reboot, 11 years, just watching Alex Kurtzman rape the Star Trek franchise for everything it's worth. Um, I don't hate the reboot films. I actually think the 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 cast in the reboot films is is wonderful. Like I, I love the group that they assembled, and I think the first one has a tremendous amount of promise. I think Star Trek Into Darkness is an abomination that should be cast mm. into the fiery hell pit that is... From whence it sprang. Uh, from <laughs> Hollywood. Um, not because it's it's poorly made. I mean, you know... You but it is. JJ, you got the J.J. Abrams shake. But it's it was a movie made for the people who already knew about Star Trek rather than, than Star Trek itself. It brought and, nothing and new to Star Trek. No, not at all. And and relied too heavily on the things that we all knew. Um, just like some other star movie titles that we can <laughs> mention. Um, but the, uh, the third one was fine, but that was mostly because Simon Pegg wrote it. And that was good. And it, it was absolutely a like shelved episode that he tried to get made <laughs> in the TNG era guaranteed and, uh, and it never materialized and he just whoop, pulled that back out and turned it into a 
feature film script, which is fine because it was it was thoroughly okay. It felt more Star Trekky than than most, but it was fun. Um, but it's it's Kurtzman's television Star Trek efforts that have really just made me so sad. He's um, a poo doo doo. <laughs> Star Trek Discovery is uh, should not be discovered by anyone uh, because it's it's there are glimmers of interesting things in it, but most of it's terrible. Yeah. Uh, Star Trek Picard uh, started off really strong and then proceeded to make me real sad. Uh, and, and it just, it keeps going. Boldly and, backing and away from worse. where no man is going to be. And it's because, and we can see a lot of the things that uh, he chooses to do here are things that he chooses to do in those properties as well, which makes me believe that he believes deep down that these choices are good. Um, but I just want to remind you, if you don't know who Alex Kurtzman is, obviously the Star Trek connection, sure. Um, but Alex Kurtzman, along with his 9-11 truther buddy, Roberto Orsi, um, also wrote Transformers Revenge of the Fallen, which is the first Transformers film, but hopefully not the last, to give us giant swinging Transformer balls, yeah. uh, which I know I was excited to see in a movie theater. It was one thing that I had always wondered, do Transformers have balls? Well, if do. they had balls... Would they swing? Uh, and they the answer provided by these two fine gentlemen was yes. Yes, they, yes, they would. Um, he also wrote, just, I mean, I'm just setting the scene here because I want you to understand this man's power in Hollywood, why they keep giving him hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, the, the cachet that he has earned. Uh, he also wrote The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Uh, the one... <laughs> <laughs> the one where Jamie Foxx hates Spider-Man because he didn't remember his name when he met him on the street. What? Uh, and didn't come to his birthday party when he invited him. And then he became Electro. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very powerful motivation for hate between two characters that I met you on the street once and you were nice to me. And then I met you like six months later and you didn't remember my name. And now I must murder you from the face of the planet. So he wrote that. I mean, high quality stuff here. Uh, he wrote that and, and effectively murdered that franchise himself. Yeah. Uh, because they then decided to never make any more of those ever again, which... Probably a smart choice. Yeah, I agree uh, with that choice. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not going to fight anybody about it. Uh, he also wrote Cowboys and Aliens, which okay, yeah, sure. you know Daniel Craig, <laughs> uh, and it, I, it just it it hurts it hurts me to look at his filmography because I see so many names of things that I love: Star Trek, Transformers, Watchmen. Mission Impossible. And then I see the ones that he did and I'm like, oh, it's your fault. <laughs> those are the bad ones. Uh, he did write Mission Impossible 3, which has the best Mission Impossible villain, but the rest of the movie is, is trash. that the Philip Seymour um, Hoffman one? It is, yes. And that's the one yes. I liked because Philip yeah. Seymour Hoffman was my prince. Because Philip, yeah. I mean, Philip Seymour Hoffman could do anything and be brilliant. So, so Alex Kurtzman is a fuck. Uh, and I yeah. don't like him at all. And 
you know, I appreciate that he has some skill. Uh, making movies is hard, and he seems capable of of doing it from time to time. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 not a no, not a fan. Um, but this movie, mm-mm, this movie is this movie something else. I mean, this is another level of epic mistake to the point that I don't understand how it exists and how someone at a, at a studio wasn't looking at this film as it was being made and just went, mm, no, no. We've made a terrible mm-hmm. mistake. We made a mistake. Shut it down. Shut it down. <laughs> Shut it down. Uh, that's what they should have said, but they didn't. Probably because Tom Cruise was in it. And you can bank on Tom Cruise to at least get your budget back. And they did, sort of. Sort but. of. All right, so um, the failure. Uh, so Rotten Tomatoes uh, was not kind to this film. I, I think that's that's pretty obvious based on our discussion here. It is currently sitting at a sixteen percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which is sixteen percent higher than it should be. But sixteen percent is where we are. Uh, the audience score is is higher. It's at 35, uh, but only 47,000 reviews, mm. which I think is interesting. Now, if you remember from last week, Session 9 had 25,000 reviews, and that's a movie from 2001 <laughs> that they made for $100. <laughs> this came out in 2017, had a $200 million marketing spend. And stars Tom Cruise and only has 47,000 reviews. So I don't think a lot of people are really coming to bat for this one. Doesn't seem like it's got that that robust audience behind it. But So I, I did pull a few reviews, not many, because they're all the same. Uh, and they all say the same things. With very little variation, you know, one, you know, talked about Tom Cruise's pecs a little bit more than the other. Another one mentioned... Uh, you know, Sofia Batella's butt, you know, like there's some variance there, but for the most part, their issues with the film were fairly uniform. Uh, so here is uh, Matthew Rosa from Salon. It feels less like a movie than a series of compromises worked out by corporate committee. Yep. And, and this was a really common complaint is that this more, perhaps more than any, modern quote-unquote studio blockbuster feels as if it were assembled by 35 different people who all had different ideas and then alex kurtzman god love him just assembled them all into one movie that we could absolutely treasure and it's you know as 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 many issues I have with like the DC movies and, and how they've tried to jumpstart their own cinematic universe and how disastrous that's been for the most part, this is on a whole nother level of that. And, and you feel it every moment of it. You just go, it's whiplash. Like what, why would they, who was, who came up with that? Why are there temple? Why are there Knights Templars in a movie about Egypt? What are we doing? What are you talking about? Oh, because people know what that is? Okay. Yeah, that's neat, I guess. Um, the Someone played jewel. Uncharted. 
the magical jewel in the dagger that she needs in order to become super mummy. The Knights have Knights Templars have it, like from Indiana Jones. Okay, Indiana Jones guys. That's all right. Yeah. Okay. People saw yeah, that, that movie. They like that movie. Choose wisely. Uh, in any case. Uh, so David Sims from The Atlantic, uh, as the beginning of an ongoing series, it wasn't. <laughs> it's an utter bore, one with only the faintest grasp of what made Universal's monster pictures so iconic all those decades ago. Uh, and I picked this one because, if anything, that is the ultimate failing of this film, is that it is called The Mummy. Yeah. And it has absolutely nothing to do and no connection with the classic universal monster movies apart from being called the same thing. Uh, not that it has to harken back to them, but it, it doesn't even attempt to connect with those early iconography, the early iconography of those films. Like it's not even trying. No. Um, this is, I mean, you could call this mission impossible Egypt, right? Or mission impossible, supernatural weird shit. And, and you would buy it because it's just one of those that happens to have a mummy in it. And that's it. Uh, it's a really, really strange way to kick off a series that was supposed to be the grand revival of these monsters and the monster film genre. So, uh, yeah, just gross. Real gross. All right. Brian Lowry from CNN. The Mummy is a mess, a movie in such a hurry to introduce more monsters under Universal's Dark Universe banner that it comes awkwardly wrapped in impenetrable layers of exposition. And here's why this is a problem, right? So as I said, Russell Crowe is in this film. Russell Crowe, who I generally find very watchable. Uh, I think he is the best part of Man of Steel because he plays badass space scientist Jor-El. Uh, and he's excellent in it, jumping off of things, riding on winged alien monsters. He does a lot of Vogue uh, stuff with his hands. He is. Uh, he's he's constantly opening and closing doors to crush people. It's very exciting. But um, he is this guy, <laughs> himself a fictional character, <clears throat> who runs the Prodigium which is some kind of monster hunting agency mm. who knows full well that this ominet mummy person is out there, but for some reason didn't know where. That was the mystery that they couldn't solve, even though one of the characters in the movie had a note with a location circled <laughs> on the map that said here that they were headed to but yet it was so confusing to, to know. But anyway, well, it sounds okay. simple so, when you put it like that. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Um, so he's supposed to sort of link us all together with all these other monsters. And it just ends up going nowhere uh, real fast. All right. So Scott Tobias from NPR. And I always love a little bit of Scott Tobias. He's always so sassy. Uh, Kurtzman has a style that could generously be described as accommodating in lieu of any strong vision of his own he seems content to assemble the mummy out of a hodgepodge of commercial ideas 
yeah, that's a bit of a burn, right? Accommodating directorial style. Oh, you want to see this? Let's do it. That's kind of uh, like workmanlike. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a really complicated way to say I'm doing what I'm told. <laughs> Right. But it certainly feels that way. Like there's nothing about this movie that feels singular or driven or directed. Right. It's just a hodgepodge of stuff that people have looked at and said, well, this worked before. Why can't it work again? Uh, and when we get into the, the debrief, you will see because almost every element in the film has a direct analog with a piece of another film. And not in that cool Quentin Tarantino, like, oh, damn, that dude saw that cool, like, 70s kung fu action flick. Awesome. Not that. Just like, we need a character to do a thing. So do we know of any characters that did a thing like that? Yeah, from this movie. Oh, we'll just do that. Yeah, let's use it's that. that. Yeah, it's, it's not like this interesting homage to something from the past that the director was in love with and said, I need to have this in my film which then transforms it into something unique and powerful and interesting. It's just, uh, uh, so Jake Johnson's pretty funny, right? You guys, he's funny. Is that, is it, we're going with funny. Okay. Um, who else was funny, but also dead. Cause he has to die so that the mummy can bring him back or some shit. I, I, I don't, we haven't figured that out yet. Um, so is he funny? Hey, you know, <laughs> Do you remember that movie, American Werewolf in London? Anybody see that? It's real old. I'm sorry. I saw that. Like, my dad saw it, that. <laughs> I th yeah, it's, you see, exactly. My dad used to watch that shit too. God damn, it's so funny. Do you remember that guy that was in that where he was funny, but he was dead? Can we just do that? We'll even have him like show up in the mirror and shit. Let me get on just IMDb like and find out his name. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, don't even bother. It's fine. I kind of vaguely remember it. It's, it's fine. Uh, you know, it's that. That is the attitude of this film, and it's everywhere. Um, all right, so a couple others here. Again, they're all the same, so this really doesn't matter. But uh, Michael Phillips of the Chicago Tribune. This movie is a pain in the sarcophagus. I fear <laughs> that it will anger the gods, which I just thought was funny. Pain in the sarcophagus. Uh, it plays like a movie directed by a producer. This is Ty Burr from Boston Globe. A movie directed by a producer checking items off a to-do list rather than telling a story. Which, yes. A hundred times yes. That's what's going on here. Uh, and then finally, A.A. Dowd, who was, was negative but somehow less negative than some of these others, said, Though occasionally enlivened by Cruz's willingness to endure a nonstop gauntlet of humiliation, this is a modern blockbuster in many of the worst ways. It's noisy, but rarely exciting. Heavy on whiz and whirl special effects, but light on wonder. Um, which, you know, again, you could say that about most modern action films. You know, there's nothing here to really grab onto. It's just what you expect. So the common problems, just to boil them down, it's boring and it's overlong. Uh, tons of people. I didn't, none of these specifically mentioned that, but tons and tons of reviews said this movie is way too long and it was ultimately boring. Um, said that, uh, well, and th this is my phrasing, but everybody, when you sit down to watch The Mummy, is getting an express ticket 
to Exposition Town. And when you arrive, you are going to have all of the exposition. You're going to go to Exposition Cafe. After you're finished there, they're going to head over to the Exposition Museum. Once you finish at the Exposition Museum, which has 77 exhibits purely devoted to uh, exposition, uh, then you've got to head over to Exposition Tower and go all the way to the top. Exposition Street USA down. is my favorite place to hang out. <laughs> <laughs> that, well, that's the final stop. That's where you get back on the exposition train and head over to your next stop, which is the exposition suburbs, uh, which, you know, quite frankly, it's not as beautiful, but, you know, you're going to find all kinds of stuff to love. But yeah, it's a problem. Um, a lot of people felt that Cruz couldn't save what this movie is. Um, because Cruz is a bankable star. He's a watchable action guy. Um, I, I'm not a huge Tom Cruise fan, but I find him watchable. I enjoy the Mission Impossible movies quite a bit. I like most of the movies that he shows up in in one form or another, although he had a really bad run in like the early 2000s. But, you know, in, in general, Tom Cruise is in terms of like the Hollywood star, Tom Cruise is one of the few examples that we have left of that, in my opinion. And, and he, he can do it and he still can, uh, even though he's, he's definitely getting up there. This um, is one of the, the first times that I, I really felt like he looks his age for once. A little bit. Yeah. Little, like a little bit for Tom Cruise. He looks his age, but Right. You know, yeah. I would look I, like a donkey if I was <laughs> me. Uh yeah, no, he's he's it's getting harder for him to hide. I mean he's in extremely good shape. Don't get me don't get me wrong. Dude looks incredible for being like fifty eight nine or whatever he is, but um yeah, like he's not gonna be able to hide it forever. Uh directed by committee, obviously, uh no personality, no humor, no fun, right? No sense of adventure. And really poor connection to the the previous Universal Monster movies. You know, nothing to sort of link them together in this long tradition of the Universal Monster series. Um, so just a just an epic fail on so many levels. Um, and, and if anything, that is my fascination with the film is that you just never get to see failure at this scale. Right. Just it's so rare in Hollywood that someone would confidently release a two hundred million dollar movie like this. It just it's it boggles the mind, Um, you know, because you say what you want about like the Michael Bay Transformers movies, especially the last couple, the convoluted, crazy messes. But there's still usually a little bit of something to drive them forward. Not great, but something. And this movie somehow even lacks that kind of spark. And it, it just, it's its truly shocking. It, it has less of a soul than a Michael Bay movie. And that's really terrifying. Yeah. I mean, how does that even happen? Right? I mean, Michael Bay is the most corporate filmmaker in the world. And I'm not even and the kind of person who Alex picks Kirsten on beat Michael Bay. I don't even, I'm, no. I'm not even that hard on him, but... In, in terms of just how his films are made, they are kind of soulless. But this was worse. <laughs> Somehow. Like, I will take The Rock 
a thousand times. Bad, give me Bad Boys 2. Give me anything. Just not this. Yeah, I mean, I was a huge Armageddon guy back in the day, even. That movie's garbage. But it, it at least it had something, you know. Um, but this doesn't even have that. So I, I guess, are you, are you ready? Do you just want to? want to debrief this thing i don't know if we have to go through scene by scene i don't know if i can uh because every scene i just i'll just slam my head into my desk over and over again um but i I guess we should mention that this as far as i know i I need to rewatch dracula untold i have like a a cheap dvd of it uh, that i got after i saw this just be like what happened (laughs) But this is, as far as I know, is the only film that bears the Dark Universe logo. Uh, So everybody knows the Universal logo, which is, of course, you know, Universal over the globe, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's very nice and CG pretty now. It used to be like a pie plate model with, you know, a hand-drawn thing over the top of it. But so the, the Universal logo comes into frame like you normally expect, and then it flips around and we get the Dark Universe, like an inverted universal logo and and i kind of to give this movie some legitimate praise i kind of like the dark universe logo it was a really neat idea yeah it's a cool concept that we're flipping around to the dark side of universal very neat idea terribly executed but you know maybe someday we'll circle back around but uh i i think what we're getting now uh because t- technically, I guess, the next movie in this series is Lee Wannell's The Invisible Man, uh, the, the super low budget Bloomhouse style. Um, the good one. Horror film from last year that was amazing, uh, or early this year, really. I don't think it was last year. Um, that was excellent, right? Which was an actual legitimate sort of semi-scary monster movie um you know that that technically is the next one in this series but they completely scrapped the whole like dark universe concept so i don't know if they plan to you know do the difficult work of building the universe and then loop back around probably not to this but to try this again in some other context it seems like but, a lot of research and development was put into it that it would almost be stupid not to eventually come back to it. But clearly right. this this hurt enough that it'll be some time before anyone tries that, maybe. It certainly seems so. Because uh, that's the other piece. Uh, obviously, critical reception for this was, was god-awful. But it, it also didn't make money. Uh, they spent... Somewhere in their neighborhood of one hundred and fifty to two hundred million dollars to make it, probably another hundred and fifty to two hundred million to market it, and then it barely eked out four hundred four hundred ten million worldwide box office, which for a Tom Cruise movie is pretty low. Yeah, um, you know, which says something about the fact that they got to four hundred is probably because of Cruise being a bankable star. But the fact that they didn't go any higher tells you something about the film itself, which shouldn't be surprising. Um, all right, so we get the Dark Universe logo. It's it's fine. Uh, I like it. I kind of wish that it would you know continue in some form or fashion. But but then we open as all Alex Kurtzman's movies open 
with a quote. Because um, I don't know about you, but the one thing that I'm looking for in my movies, quotes. Especially made-up ones. It reminds me of how kids are, are told really early that they should start their essays with a quote. <laughs> mm-hmm. Start it's your essay with a really smart quote. Start with a smart quote, exactly. Um, so the quote here is, and I want to say there's something similar to this in the Stephen Summers mummy movie when she actually like cracks open the the book of the dead or whatever there is she she comes across a phrase that's not terribly dissimilar full disclosure um it's actually what imhotep says as he is his soul is like it's very complicated i've seen the mummy the 90s mummy no fewer than like 800 times i can quote (laughs) the movie from beginning to end, you name a scene, I will pull a quote from it. So I was already not going to like this movie. <laughs> right. Just just by virtue of how much I like the 99 Stephen Summers movie. Yeah, I mean, I guess let's get that out of the way. I, I like, I mean, Mummy and Mummy Returns uh, are wonderful. Uh, I absolutely love those movies. They're fun little injections of... of 1930s and 40s style or not really even style but like hallmark you know they're they're hearkening back to that era of adventure film obviously treading on the same ground as indiana jones and and very sort of you know naked about their intent which is fine um clean screenwriting nothing too over the top very straightforward but just fun movies, right? Just good, fun, you know, action films with a little bit of a horror bent and a legitimate horror, you know, horror bent. There's some scary moments in both of them. Um, pretty much everything after Mummy Returns is garbage. Uh, you know, I know some people are really into the Scorpion King stuff. Fuck yeah. <laughs> uh, not I, sorry. Like, I, he's fine in Mummy Returns. Like, that's that's fine. But, like, the standalone Scorpion King movies, I, I never got into. I love The Rock, so that's also a problem. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't doesn't help. Um, I mean, I even, I didn't hate Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, uh, even though it was a, a real stretch to consider that a, another Mummy film. Um but you know, it just it was a it was a, a nice it was a nice set of films and and you know really fun. So they're obviously trying to tread that ground a little bit here, but they want it. It's it's just so edge lord. Like they just yeah. they're like we gotta go dark, guys. We gotta be dark. We're serious dark. now. And and it's like, dude, it's not serious. It doesn't have to be serious. It can be something else. But so we get a quote, death is but the doorway to new life. We live today. We shall live again in many forms. Shall we return the Egyptian prayer of resurrection, uh, which. Okay. Sure. All right. So great. We open with a, an Egyptian quote. Let's see some mummies. It's a mummy movie. It's great. But then what do we go to next? What is the next thing that we see? Is it Egypt? No. no. It's Templar Knights. Knights Templar. 
doing a thing, burying a dude. You liked that Indiana the, Jones, didn't you? <laughs> that's right. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Hey, you are you a big Dan Brown fan? You like the Dan Brown cuz we're bringing that back, right? We're going to we're going to we're going to Robert Langdon this bitch. Ew, right? Yeah. That's how we roll here. So we get a we get a Knights Templar burial um with some kind of red jewel being buried with one of the knights. <sighs> and then we open in England, right? So we open with an Egyptian quote and then we do the most un-Egyptian things humanly possible. At least the original mummy films. Well, the Stephen Summers mummy films. Let me let me say that. Not the original, but the Stephen Summers mummy films. Both of them open in Egypt, right? Yeah. Get a nice little Oded Fair voiceover. You get a little bit of the history. Where'd the mummy come from? What's going on? Right? <laughs> it sets the scene, you know. In this one, no. We open in jolly old England. And what are they doing in jolly old England, do you ask? They're drilling subway tunnels. They're not doing shit with mummies. It's pissing me off. <laughs> Where no, are the mummies? Are, you know We've got to build bypasses. We can't just not build bypasses, right? It's 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 so dumb because they are drilling tunnels for some kind of are they trying to make the tunnel? Is that what they're doing? I don't know. Isn't that what they keep saying? It's some kind of high speed rail to Europe. And I was like, don't they have that already? Um, but they're making another one and then <sighs> Oh, God. Okay, right. So, it, it doesn't matter. I feel like it I'm losing consciousness. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just this stuff makes no sense to me, right? Because this movie, this movie has like four beginnings. Yeah. And it, it, and it doesn't need them, right? We didn't need the Egyptian quote to begin the movie. We didn't need the Knights Templar burial scene to begin the movie. We definitely didn't need the discovering of the Templar tomb by construction workers to start the movie. Because that didn't go anywhere. No. No, later it like floods or something and they don't even go back. <laughs> it's just, it's meaningless. And and we, and we it's not even telegraphed what, because of course Dr. Jekyll appears, right? The prodigium appears. And that's where we get the man hands letter over shoulder to other man and says, this is mine now, right? That's, that's where this comes from. Um, and then we don't even really see what he discovers because it's a big tomb with a bunch of Knights Templar. Then he walks towards a wall. This is Jekyll, Russell Crowe. Then he walks towards a wall and he sees like a glyph on the wall, right? Something's been carved. And, and there's voiceover over the top of all of this. And, and, and he's like, there, there's, I've, un I've unearthed many secrets. Power, you know, powerful secrets, but some things can never stay buried forever. You know, like what? I couldn't even so, really focus on what he was saying because it just it didn't mean anything yet. It was like this big, it's big lofty words, and they just don't mean anything. <laughs> it's like, why do I care? Right, and he seems to, and this is an issue that I have with these kinds of characters, right? Because he's obviously being positioned as the guy who knows everything. Right? He knows everything. He has all of the answers. He holds all the answers. And he occupies that space for the entire film. But we're expected to believe, because of his voiceover narration, that this is something he could have never expected. That he could have never predicted. 
would happen when we're we're it's demonstrably obvious in other circumstances that he did know exactly what was happening but so he zooms in and then we get like a little hieroglyphic transition like we see a scene of a, a woman with a stick and then we cut to finally egypt right we are you know straight up like almost three minutes into this movie before we actually see anything in egypt you know the movie called the mummy yeah and what is the first thing <clears throat> we see in egypt we see a fashion model trying very very hard to stick fight with a stuntman yes and and just failing miserably um and and this is one of my issues with the film i love the idea of the mummy being female being a woman i i think it's great it's it's a wonderful inversion of the genre i do not like sophia batella <laughs> That's that mummy. No. Uh, she's terrible in this in ways that I find difficult to quantify. Um, her facial expressions are bad. Her movement is bad. Um, and, and I don't think it's her, right? I mean, I, she was she was in the Star Trek. She was the, the Jana or whatever her name was in uh, Star Trek Beyond, right? The third Star Trek movie. And and she was fine, right? I didn't she was, she was great. But in in this I think it's a it's terrible when, role. Right. I mean cuz she's she's told to be so intense in every moment. I mean like I, I don't know if you remember it, but again, this movie has no idea of like the history of Egypt or when shit happened. It doesn't care. So we get this shot of Sophia Batella and I, I'm guessing it's supposed to be her dad, right? It's right, isn't it? Like the pharaoh is supposed to be. It's her dad. That's what I thought. But he looks, know. he looks like three years older than her, maybe yeah. four. I mean, uh, and they're standing and they're looking out over the Great Pyramids, all three of them, just right there, and it's like, okay, so when is this exactly? When were those completed? Where are, are trying we? To tell, where are we? What are we doing? Because they're in the middle of nowhere. Like the pyramids are completely separated from any kind of society whatsoever, which. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> but this is, you know, in terms of like what she's being asked to do, they're standing there, they're looking over the pyramids, obvious CG pyramids, like badly obvious CG pyramids. And the way that she's standing, because they're blowing, they're they're blowing, you know, wind across them, so that it looks, you know, awesome. I guess it's epic college sophomores' idea of awesome. She's standing in the most uncomfortable position possible. Like her arms are swept back so that the stuff can't blow in her face, and her body just looks contorted in weird ways. It's so annoying. But then we get like the downfall, right? So Sophia Batella, our, our future mummy, she's been promised the kingdom, right? That's why she's been training with stuntmen for so long with stick fighting. Yeah. Is that stick fighting with stuntmen means that you get to be Pharaoh. I, I don't know how, but it does. But Pharaoh, her dad, decides that there's like a, like a hot lady 
in his entourage. Happens every um, time. <laughs> that he, I guess he's never seen before. Uh, I guess she just magically appeared in his entourage one day to fan him with ostrich feathers. And all of a sudden he was like, whoa, 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 Sophia Batella. You don't get to be Pharaoh anymore. I'm, I'm going to have me a baby. And I mean, I know the Egyptians were very advanced. I don't know how advanced they were in terms of their birth control technology. Maybe. I mean, according to Steve Martin's King Tut sketch on uh, Saturday Night Live, you know, they had some pretty advanced techniques. But so this guy's her dad. She's like 25 or something. Are you telling me that in 25 years since he had her, the pharaoh of Egypt, never did it with another lady and had a kid? No. Was he sterile? Yeah. Did he have some sort of accident? Yes. Um, <laughs> did he discover Egyptian Viagra? Yes. Um, this movie's getting exactly? better now. <laughs> because, I mean... I don't think there was any particular onus on the pharaohs to be chased last time uh, I checked. Yeah, no, that there doesn't sound right. There didn't seem to be many, many rules about that. And uh, so, yeah, just it's it's odd that it, it happens now, right? As we're seeing this unfold, that his adult daughter gets perturbed because he decides to have another kid i'm like uh, it just upsets her so much it uh, deeply it deeply disturbs her because she was so prepared so prepared to be pharaoh in 40 to 50 years and <laughs> and so what does she do what any of us would do you make a deal with set the god of the dead uh and then a shambling kind of burned up zombie hands you a magical dagger yeah which you which you then take well you have to touch it first and when you touch it it's gonna put tattoos all over your body yeah. so that everyone will know that you've made a naked bargain with set the god of the dead but don't worry you'll look <laughs> um, really cool when they do this yes it's very cool and it only takes about two and a half hours in makeup which is the real plus Right. I mean, if you're thinking about, you know, like, how can we keep this project moving? You don't want to put one of your leads in the, the makeup chair for that long. You really want to be able to get in out. So a couple of appliques, you're good. So once she's obtained this power in the magical dagger, only then can she murder her entire family in their sleep. Yeah. Uh, she couldn't have done that before. The knife... Any old knife wouldn't do. You needed this special hook blade with the red jewel on the end. It was the only way to make it work. Um, and you had to make a deal with Set, the god of the dead, in order to kill the pharaoh. Because, you know, he's magic and shit. Or something. Uh, I guess. And so she murders her family, all of them, in some very nice slow-mo sequences. Shot by Alex Kurtman. And then, as you do... In order to fulfill the bargain with Set, uh, shambling or shambolic zombie of the dead, um, 
you you have to have sex with the stunt man you were stick fighting with. Yeah. At the beginning. Um, Why is the because, mummy so sexy? <laughs> because stick fighting is a metaphor. That's why. I don't. Um, I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I get and, this movie. <laughs> and and so apparently, and again, this entire thing, this entire thing is being uh, is being narrated by Russell Crowe because we paid for Russell Crowe. <laughs> we paid for him, and he's exposition man number one. So I just want the sequencing of the movie. I just want to be clear about. So we open with quote then we cut to ancient templar burial right cut to guys drilling tunnels under london cut to henry jekyll looking at a thing on the wall and somehow being either reminded of amonet or learning about amonet for the first time and now we are in a flashback another ancient flashback where we are being told who Aminette is and what happened to her. So if you feel none, sick, then I have <laughs> some explanation for that. It's called cinematic whiplash. It's called, <clears throat> what is this movie about? And what are we doing? Um, because none of this information, no matter how interesting it may be, has any context into what is actually going to be happening in this movie yeah um and so this is where that like committee thing comes in because if i was going to start this movie i would start it at the scene after all of this stuff which is a bunch of guys shooting up statues in the iraqi desert that's yeah. where you start because that's where the story starts right and then as that movie progresses you introduce or talk about these things but there was some dude in a committee at universal was like but who is that i don't know who that is i don't think i understand this film. what is <laughs> this nobody in nobody in poughkeepsie indiana is gonna understand what this is put a put a scene in the front help us understand it's just it reeks of that and and it's bad because apparently Aminette for having her middle-aged father knock up a chambermaid and have another baby this is her reason to now gain revenge on the world uh not just them but the the world that was the the plan i was so confused well she just is full of hate just so much hate but also sexy yeah. sexy times it's it's hate sexies um and that she's happens got a lot sometimes. of it. it does it really does um so then we get i mean some scenes that you would expect to find in a mummy movie right somebody being put in a sarcophagus somebody being wrapped in stuff whatever you know there's not but, enough of those scenes no i mean and there really there's no threat in them like yeah it sucks like she's trapped in there or whatever and i guess whatever deal she made with set means she can't die so okay sure but then the movie takes a hard left turn because the the egyptian priests right were so 
concerned of her evil or about her evil, that they didn't want to bury her in Egypt. Why would you? It's a small country, difficult, you know, difficult to hide stuff. Um, you know, really, it's it, mummies buried everywhere. So you got to you got to mix it up. Right. And so instead, they haul her off to Iraq. <sighs> Which, I mean, again, I, I don't want to, you know, cast doubt on Alex Kurtzman's geography skills here. <laughs> yes, <but> you do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is the guy that told us that the planet Vulcan can be seen from a moon on another planet clearly like as clear as day you can just stand on this other moon in a system dozens and dozens of light years away and you can just watch Vulcan get destroyed I mean I so I don't want to make it sound like Alex Kurtzman has no concept of time space or distance <laughs> yeah but um somehow they they transport her a, a real long way and and they're very committed to this. And then when they arrive, they don't just like dump her in the ground. You couldn't do that. So instead, they dig this elaborate well of souls looking shit and then fill it with mercury and dump her inside forever. Um, and it, it just it seems like a lot of effort to go through to dump the body of this this person. And it I know is. she's made it she's made a deal with Set. He's the god of the dead. I don't I don't know if you're familiar with Set the god of the dead, but he's rough, right? He can get up to some shenanigans. So they got to make sure that she's in a shenanigan free zone. And uh and then only after she's placed in her shenanigan free zone do we get the title to this freaking movie an hour um, later <laughs> it's only 10 minutes in right like it's only 10 minutes in but god it feels longer uh so then we we segue to the real beginning of our movie right we've wasted eight minutes of everyone's time and now we can actually get down to i guess you can call it business Yay. And then we get the most mansplainy shit mm. where he says Mesopotamia, cradle of civilization, currently known as Iraq. This is like, thanks, Alex Kurtzman. Thanks for your your sophomore history lesson for everybody there, pal. Um, just doing my job. <laughs> just doing my job. Just helping you guys know, understand how this, uh, how this, this history stuff works. Uh, I wrote the Transformers films, you know. So uh, we had a, a giant, uh, dangling transformer ball climb up the Egyptian pyramids in that movie, and and we're gonna try and provide you with a similar experience here. We just want you to have that. Only the very best for you. Only the very best. <laughs> So, um, again, I don't want to belabor these points, but we're very quickly introduced to our uh, heroes, yeah. I guess. Um, the, the people that we will be forced to follow their adventures throughout this film. Uh, and uh, I, I guess we get what Alex Kurtzman would call costume foreshadowing, because the first time we see... Uh, Tom Cruise, his face is all covered and he's all wrapped up and his hands are covered and 
I mean, he he looks mummy-ish, basically. Yeah. And and I imagine it's Alex Kurtzman being like, hey guys, I'm just going to give you a little bit of visual foreshadowing here that this guy is going to be the mummy, right? <laughs> if you didn't know that Tom Cruise is going to be the star of this film, here we go. Um, So our hero, ladies and gentlemen, is a grave robber. Uh, he is the epitome of what the original people who cracked open the pyramids and pulled out the ancient ancestors of the Egyptians uh, and then hauled them off to places unknown for, you know, ensconcement in museums. Uh, he is the modern equivalent of that, except instead of having any onus towards doing anything scientific with the findings, he just sells it for cash. I feel like someone saw Uncharted mm -hmm. and, and yeah, maybe, this, this maybe played like it. I don't feel like they played it, but I think mm -hmm. they saw a trailer and they were like, that is neat. We should steal that. <laughs> Alex yes. Kurtzman saw a trailer for Uncharted. It's like, that should be a movie. That's because everything that Alex Kurtzman does is filtered through three levels of pop culture. Right. Because Indiana Jones was a filtering of the 40s serial, you know, like hero action heroes and then nathan drake is a distillation of the indiana jones style figure except a little bit more of an asshole and then nick morton played by tom cruise is another level of filtration the, the ultimate postmodern pastiche of indiana jones is that's the right. mummy 2017 mb amba jones that's what he is um mb mb no we love you, Gus Johnson. <laughs> well, we do. We definitely do. Um, so, okay. Uh, they have acquired a note that points them to Haram, right? And there's something in Haram that they need, but unfortunately it is a terrorist stronghold, right? Nobody says ISIS. Nobody, nobody says, you know real world things because it's obvious that even though they want us to they want us to connect real world events with what these characters are doing they really don't and they don't want us to consider that our heroes are doing these terrible things and they've got to get down there even though they're a terrorist so they can get at that that sweet sweet treasure because reasons uh you know it, it doesn't seem that they need money for anything but obviously they do and and so we get tom cruise and jake johnson and i i straight up have seen this movie four times and it was not until i was doing the imdb research for this film that i knew what jake johnson's character's name was well he uh, calls him <laughs> I thought he was calling him by a different name. His name is Chris Vale. And Tom Cruise calls him Vale. But that's not what it sounds like he's saying. <laughs> no. And it really, again, it doesn't matter. Uh, I, I struggled to remember that Tom Cruise's name was Nick. And the only reason I knew that it was Nick was because Jake Johnson screams it constantly for the first 30 minutes of this movie. Um, Jake Johnson so our, screams constantly in this movie in general. He does. And, you know, here's where I have to say I, I love J. 
Jake Johnson. I have an unreasonable affection. Because he's Johnson. on that TV show. He's so funny on that TV show. He is so funny on that TV show. He's funny on the other TV show. He's funny in all those movies with the Mumblecore kids. I I like Jake Johnson a lot. And I wish that this movie served him better, but it does not. Because our hero, Tom Cruise, Nick Morton, grave robber, treasure hunter, soldier of fortune, rogue U.S. Army sergeant, whatever you want to call him, is the most biggest of assholes and treats him terribly because the first action that we see him commit, other than trying to get this guy to go and commit crimes, to do crimes... Do a crime. (laughs) Do the crimes, Jake Johnson. And Jake Johnson says, I don't want to do the crimes. Very loudly. And then to make him do the crimes, he uses his knife to cut open his water supply so that he will be forced to go to the the thing and get water. That's that's our hero. This is the hero of our film. Yeah. The the good guy. He's... He's threatening his ostensibly his best friend with death and dehydration in the desert unless he does the crime. It just doesn't. It's the dumbest thing. It's weird. Um, And I think it's because Alex Kurtzman, Alex Kurtzman does understand what screenplays are supposed to be. He's read enough books and he's written enough movies that he does understand how they're supposed to work. And this movie, Tom Cruise's character has an arc. Mm-hmm. And the arc is, I'm a jerk. And at the end of it, I'm slightly less of a jerk. Slightly. Who has decided to be slightly less of a jerk so that I can help people. So that I can the help ladies. women. <laughs> mostly the ladies. And it's it's very, very strange. It, it makes him... He's legitimately difficult to root for. Like, And if anything, that's the main problem with this movie. Is I don't know who I'm supposed to like. Because I don't like anyone. Yeah. No one is likable. Except for Jake Johnson. Yeah, and I thought he, I liked him and he's not really in the movie that he much. He dies... 25 minutes in and then spends the rest of it as a slowly decaying specter. Okay. Mm. Right. And, and this more than anything, a movie like this, which is simple. I mean, blockbusters at their core, the vast majority of them that find success anyway, are simple, right? Bad guy do bad thing. Good guy, do good thing. Make bad guy go away. Right? I mean, it's they don't have to be complicated. You can may, layer complications into it and be fine. But this one, I, I don't know who I'm rooting for at any point in the movie. Yeah. And, and this sets that tone very quickly. Because, you know, when threatened with, you know, dying in the desert of dehydration, Jake Johnston, Jake Johnson agrees to crime, right? To make crime. And they go and make crime together. And unfortunately, as they are making crime, which we don't get to see because instead we get a humorous cutaway so that we see them running from, you know, just a hail of bullets. 
they they come into contact with the the terrorist forces and i don't know what this scene is doing but this is a scene that alex kurtzman puts in basically all of his movies uh and you can go and look at transformers revenge of the fallen you can go look at the original transformers you can look at star trek into darkness uh, and even Star Trek, uh, the the first reboot Star Trek, and and it is the scene where our character, possibly accompanied by another character of lesser importance, is either running, jumping, or sliding through a location while they are being shot at, and witty bantering with each other. Yeah. Right. They all have it. All of them. Um. And I, I think it's because he doesn't know how to make exposition exciting outside of putting your characters in danger while they deliver it. I really don't. Because this might as well be the scene of Kirk and Spock running through the hallways, or Kirk and Bones running through the hallways to try and get Kirk to stop from having the allergic reaction. It's the same thing. Um, which that worked as, but it just it did you know it's not always gonna work it's no not always and it doesn't here it, because what they're doing doesn't make sense and it's not funny um johnson has a couple of lines but this this scene ends with them calling in an illegal drone strike and murdering civilians that's how <laughs> they get out <laughs> it's funny it's hilarious and jake johnson gleefully shouts at the sky i'm not dead and i'm like but what about everyone else fuck <laughs> them <laughs> fuck those people um but whatever like it's just it's it's a poor scene and it it doesn't really do anything to help us understand the characters better it definitely doesn't do anything to progress whatever story they think they're telling the only plot incidents that it carries is that it opens up the tomb right and we know it's the tomb because they showed us the car the boss relief facial carving on the wall so we know that that's the tomb of Amenet. and none of it, it is very egyptian i no. mean not that i think cultural appropriation is necessary to make the movies successful but uh -uh. I was expecting to see a little more mummy related content. <laughs> no, I'm I'm shocked at how fast this movie's trying to get to London. Yeah. Like it is is seemingly sprinting to get the mummy movie out of the desert as fast as possible. And and I don't get it. I mean, I know shooting in the desert is a huge pain and it sucks and everyone hates it. But like maybe don't make a mummy movie then. <laughs> Right. I mean, like, it's it's kind of the milieu, right? Like, you're why why so desperate to get out of the sand for your mummy film? Uh, and then I don't even know if I want to talk about the next couple of scenes, because basically Courtney B. Vance shows up for reasons unknown. Like uh -huh. why you would pay Courtney Vance. To do this, it doesn't even make sense to me. I mean, he's good. He's always good. But he's like angry general man who is mad that his soldiers aren't where they're supposed to be and then seems fully aware of what they are doing and how wrong it is. 
but then proceeds to do very little to stop it. Oh. Yeah, I mean, well, then you wouldn't have a movie. And he's going to die soon anyway, so what difference does it make? That really surprised me when that happened. I was like, oh, so we just brought that guy in to get rid of him. Yeah, I mean, like, the number of characters who die relatively quickly to their introduction is, is sort of shocking in this movie. But then we're introduced to um, blonde love interest. And <sighs> I, f- I feel really sorry for for her. Uh, Annabelle Wallace, I guess, is her name. Um, she was in Peaky Blinders and, like, Annabelle, I guess. Uh, you know, like, fine actress. She's, she's fine. But let's uh, before we move on from this this terrible sequence of scenes i just want to sort of point out everything that we know about our main character so far so okay we know that tom cruise is a grave robber we know that tom cruise is a murderer we know that tom cruise is willing to kill his friends to get what he wants And then when Annabelle Wallace shows up, we also know that Tom Cruise is terrible in bed, that he may not be terrible in bed, and she's making him sound terrible in bed because she's angry that he stole her magic paper that (laughs) led him to here in the first place. And so, like, their conversation is so off-putting because it becomes this like little push you pull me where it's like well i know that it was longer than you know 20 and seconds it just, it's yeah. just a pile of who cares right like i'm i'm fine if he t- if you want to continue making him terrible by having him steal this valuable document from this woman after you know doing the one night stands or whatever but it's just it's in front of all these other characters it's awkward it's badly shot it's terribly delivered and and again it's for what you can tell somebody thought that that was funny they'd be like oh tom cruise is known for his virility let's take him down a peg guys uh it's just it none of it works none of it at all yeah but then they have to go down into the tomb so that we can have Annabelle Wallace deliver uh, the only line in this sequence of shot that matters. And it's where she, she looks pointedly into the camera and she says, this isn't a tomb. It's a prison. (gasps) And I laughed when she said that really, really loud. Like I disturbed my family when she said it because it was so obvious and on the nose (laughs) that I was shocked that that line was allowed to be in the film. The movie did that. (laughs) Here it is. And the scale of this tomb that they find is so impossible, right? Because again, this is a bunch of dudes who are walking like, 1500 miles across the desert lugging this sarcophagus of this lady just to get her out of Egypt so that they don't have to bury her close by. And 
I don't know if you remember seeing it, but the shot is they're like rappelling down the whole, you know, the hole that's opened because of the bombs mm-hmm. that they called down and mm-hmm. murdered the people in this town. Oh yeah. Um, it makes it look like this thing is like 18 miles deep, right? Like, uh, you know, they wanted it to be a nice, a nice place. Uh, like what resources did they have? I mean, like, I, okay, again, I guess like, Egyptians were very resourceful, right? Built the pyramids, or at least made their slaves do it. But it just the the but whole the setup doesn't make any off. sense. It doesn't make any sense. No, why? Why would they do this? But so there's this whole thing about uh, mercury being a con- some kind of containment for this power, which becomes a whole thing later when the prodigium catches her. Uh, but whatever they. You know, Jake Johnson and and Tom Cruise are gonna. They're just trying to steal shit. You know, they're taking rings off of skeletons, and you know the other lady's actually trying to, I, I don't know, do archaeology. I guess. I guess that's what we're supposed to believe she's doing. It was but, just a scene where we liked our hero even less. Yeah. No. I mean, there's nothing at this point. I mean, and we are a good, you know, almost half hour, twenty minutes into this movie. And our hero is despicable, right? He He's just terrible in every way. But all of this has been leading up to them finding Aminet and then making the horrifically bad decision to basically just take her sarcophagus with them, uh, which they kind of have this whole, like, spiders show up and they... they you know, hit a thing they shouldn't hit and it raises the body out. Again, none of it matters. All of it's dumb. And then Aminette's uh, sarcophagus is is raised up and they decide that they're going to take it back. But as it raises out, Aminette makes Tom Cruise see desert. The flash... The, well, the visions. What? Why? Why is he having the visions? One, I guess, once she's out of the mercury, she can start communicating. And remember, she's she's very sexy, and she needs the sexy times, yeah. and the murder times, murder plus sexy times. It's both together oh sister i know how it is (laughs) yeah she needs both and then once but she needs it with the man so that she can have revenge yeah or something sounds right so he goes into some kind of trance and um makes annabelle wallace angry again and and keeps sort of seeing sophia butella as you know some sort of object of desire you know, they're connected. I, I, I really don't know. Uh, there was nothing that indicated that Aminette was psychic. But, yes. Yeah, we're not really told why this begins happening. It just starts happening. Like, why does she have this ability? Why is this... Why is this what happens to Tom Cruise now that she's set for? Why? And I still don't know. It's best not to think about it. It's best to just let Alex Kurtzman have his birds moment where Tom Cruise looks around and there are birds everywhere. 
and you know you might Rasoldi Rasoldi Ra, you know like whatever. Because again, Alex Kurtzman has no original ideas. He just shows you things that you've seen in other contexts. You liked um, it then. You'll like it now. You'll love it now. I don't. You know, Tom Cruise is Tippy Hedren. <laughs> I'd watch that. <laughs> um. Oh, and uh, Jake Johnson got bit by a spider, and and it just happens to be. It's, it's a, a bad, bad spider. spider. It's, it's like the worst spider. Um, again, this movie seems very interested in getting out of the desert as fast as humanly possible. So they decide to put the sarcophagus on a plane. And as they're putting it on the plane, there's like a sandstorm, right? That's coming in hot. So they got to get out of there. And, and again, all of this is mummy stuff, right? Mummy creating sandstorms, mummy like, you know calling in animals to do its bidding so like none of it's wrong right none of it's none of it's like what are you doing alex kurtzman but none of it makes sense and none of it has threat because nobody knows what's happening right and we don't know what's happening like is this amanet probably how can she do this we don't know what is she doing we don't know Right. So it's like we're seeing things that we would expect to see in a mummy movie. Fine. But we have no context or understanding of why or, 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 you know, wherewithal. Like we just don't know what's happening. So they get in the plane to take off because they're going to take the sarcophagus back, presumably to the prodigium. Right. Like that's who this uh, Annabelle Wallace's character works for. She was sent there by Russell Crowe to get this and bring it back. So presumably that's what she's going to do. So they take off right as the sandstorm comes in. They're up in the sky. They think everything's going to be okay. I guess we should note that the scene that's about to take place is probably the thing that made this film, let's say, go viral. Because there's about to be a plane crash, which I love a good plane crash in a film. I, I adore it. Um, I watched the entire Robert Zemeckis film flight so that I could see that plane crash at the end, the, the Denzel Washington. Movie. Oh yeah. Um, and you know, so I'm, I'm down with a good plane crash, but this movie, when it released its IMAX trailer, well, during the plane crash sequence of that trailer, they, they messed up. Have you seen this? Did you see this? I don't think I saw it. Okay. I I think it's still out there. They pulled the official one down, but of course it was too late. So it was just in the IMAX trailer. I don't think it was in the regular theatrical trailer, but the one that they remixed for IMAX, which has more, you know, generally has more speakers. They, they mixed it wrong. And instead what you get, and and if I can find it, I, I may actually insert this in the podcast because it's hilarious. What you get is a lot of just, it was a lot of 80 yard screams <laughs> without any of the additional sound effects to accompany the screams. <laughs> so it's just Tom Cruise going, ah! pan, pan, pan. This is November four, zero, niner, niner. What the hell? Uh. <sighs> <sighs> Ah! 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 
Oh, that's perfect. Uh, at the top of his lungs. And it, it, it became a viral sensation. Uh, I, there was a, about a week-long period where it was just constantly being reposted everywhere that I went of people just Tom Cruise being thrown around a, an airplane cabin and screaming apropos of nothing. Um, it, it's it's pretty good. I'll, like I said, I'll, I'll throw a couple of little uh, sound bites from it in the, the audio if I can find it. But... You know, before that happens, though, in case you had any doubt that Tom Cruise is like a lecherous, terrible person, uh, Annabelle Wallace's character is reaching up into like an overhead compartment to grab something and her bare midriff is showing. Um, and Tom Cruise is like sort of just looking around and and he sees it and just goes like creepy old man vibe or he's like, hey, all right. Uh, and in case you didn't like me enough. <laughs> right. In case you didn't know that I'm just a likable everyman. I mean, I'm just like you, America. <laughs> Don't you see? Um, and so we get this moment where they try to connect and he kind of half apologizes for being a jerk to her and treating her badly. I guess. I don't know. It, and none of it really lands. And so... Before the plane crash begins, we see that, that Jake Johnson is in, in real rough shape. Uh, and, and he's he's dying, I guess. And no one state. seems to notice that he's dying. Yeah, he like he looks really bad. He already looks like some kind of zombie, but nobody's really paying attention. Um, but we have we have exposition to do. And we get a little bit more of Aminette's background that we didn't know before, I guess, that she was a special baby. Um, I, again, it would have been nice to know. Yeah, she was a special baby. She had, de- I, I don't, I don't know. It, it doesn't really make sense. But um, all of this is just an excuse for Tom Cruise and Sophia Batella to sort of writhe on top of each other for a few minutes. And again, implies some kind of connection between the two of them that's still not been fully explained. But so Tom Cruise wakes up, Vale, uh, Jake Johnson's character, is just staring at Aminette, and he's got a knife. He's acting weird, trying to cut the bonds open. So Aminette obviously has some kind of power or control over both of these guys at this point, but we just don't really understand you know, what's going on. Uh, so then Vale, uh, Jake Johnson's character, he murders Courtney B. Vance with a knife. Cold that blood. was unexpected. Just... Yeah, I mean, because this is a horror movie, too, lest you forget. Horrible things happen. Uh, and then Vale starts trying to kill everybody, and so he gets shot, and he dies, and whatever. Then um, plagues, I guess? Plagues? Plagues, yeah. Um, birds fly into the engine, and the plane crashes. And uh, it's hilarious. Uh, Tom Cruise offers the uh, offers the Annabelle Wallace's character a parachute. Says, "You know, you take it. You know, you go do your thing." And you know, again, I guess we're supposed to believe that Tom Cruise is getting better, like he's he's growing, and so he sacrifices himself. Mm-hmm. And let's and let's her take the 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 parachute, I guess. Mm-hmm. Okay. But isn't there a, this is probably from a different movie, but I thought there was a joke where he said he, like, he thought there was another parachute or something. 
and then was wrong. Um, but regardless, he survives the plane crash somehow, right? We don't know how, but he survives. Again, I, I don't really understand the mechanics of what is happening here. Um, I, I don't understand how he survives the plane crash. What is it about Aminette's curse that um, does that for him? I Do you know? Do you have any ideas? I, I've, I, I understand so little about it. Um, I don't I mean, understand. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's, it's, you know, she's made some kind of connection. He's supposed to be the guy that she needs to complete the ritual with. But how did she infuse him with immortality? Yeah. Like, they haven't even touched each other. Like, I would be more okay with this. Um, and I'm just more okay. Not, not okay, but more okay. If she had gotten out of the sarcophagus on the plane, which kind of seems like that's where it's going, right? Like, Jake Johnson is, is cutting the bonds on the sarcophagus as, like, the confrontation happens. And then she, like, physically touches him or, you know, he touches her just anything with some kind of like transfer of power, but it all seems just kind of magical and unexplained. I, I really don't understand, but in any case, he's, he's cursed now. He had, I, and I guess that's kind of what this is supposed to be like the curse of the mummy sort of thing, but it seems pretty wicked cool when you think about it. So hot mummy is all up in your business, right? She's, she's down with it. Down to clown. And, She's down to clown, just ready to roll, man. Anytime. She's there. She's ready. She's on it. And can't die in plane crashes anymore. Can I walk out of traffic? Can I jump off of tall buildings and survive? I mean, because if that's the case, this is a pretty sweet deal. It's time to have some fun. Yeah, I mean, we might as well just like, you know, let's climb Everest naked. I mean, jeez. I mean, if we can do whatever we want, I'm Tom Cruise. I've got, you know, a body to die for. I'm doing something incredible. And so he pops up in the... So he pops up in the morgue in the body bag, which again, how many movies have we seen a character pop up in a morgue in a body bag? Again, It doesn't even feel unique or interesting or original like it's just it's all stuff that we've seen but so he's <laughs> you know tom cruise is naked we get a nice little like you know tom cruise naked scene and then pretty much from here on out so we are 35 minutes into the movie this entire movie goes off the rails like up until this point i'm 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 on board cautiously Right. I've, I've like got one foot on the exit steps, but I'm hanging out for a second. But now nah, it, it, everything just takes a hard left turn to to crazy town because I mean, I don't know about you, but from what I understand, when a plane crashes over like a decently populated area, it's a fairly big deal. Right. Because people get killed. But in Tom Cruise's case, or in this plane crash's case, everybody's just kind of like, hmm, plane crash, huh? That's a little weird. Seems strange to me. (laughs) So we get a couple of cops, British cops, excuse me, bobbies, 
if you will. A couple of bobbies go out to investigate some of the wreckage from the plane crash. It's not a big deal. They're not cordoning anything off. It's just, we're going to go out and see some of this wreckage. And so they find the sarcophagus. And of course, mummy going to do what mummy going to do. And these guys get turned into zombies, which, how did you feel about this particular mummy's army of the dead? I hated it. It's such a dumb choice. And again, it feels like somebody saying, hey, zombies would be cool. Mummy zombies. Zombies that are also mummies. Right? Like the the mummy generally has to like suck life out of other people to regain the form. Right? That's classic mummy setup yeah. stuff. Right? Fine. It was but really cool when one, Arnold Vosloo did that in the 90s. Yeah, but I mean, like, if you look back to that original mummy, right, those were the guys that violated his grave, right? This was his, this was their penance for what they did wrong, right? Like, you took the pieces of my beloved's body, and that gives me the right to absorb you. That's why I can I can have your bodies. Yeah. Um, and and they also turned it into a joke where. He absorbed these dudes and he got their faults too. Like he got the dude's bad eyes and then didn't bother to keep his glasses. So he was like half blind, right? That's interesting and sort of funny and, and you know, cool. It's almost this like is, someone thought about it. I just need it. to suck your life so I can get my pretty back. And and we have to look extra horny while we do it too. Yes. Um, I don't know, man. Like all of this stuff. This, for me, it's just shot terribly. It's yeah. so dark. And you can tell it's trying to be super edgy and cool. Right? We're going to shoot this like Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead, baby. Mm-hmm. And and it's just so off-putting and strange. Um, the zombie makeup isn't especially good. Uh, a lot of it's, you know, quote-unquote CG enhanced. I, I, I don't know. It... it this whole sequence is is where I just started turning up my nose at this movie <laughs> because it just was so not good. I, I Well, I did also want to say that this movie may have some of the worst simulated news footage that I've ever seen. In a oh, my God. <laughs> like this. It's not like quite Birdemic levels of bad news footage. <laughs> But it's pretty damn close. Like, I mean, it's it's it looks like it was made by someone who's never actually watched the news before. And, and that seen, may like, be the case. <laughs> it's very possible. Uh, when you're a 9-11 truther, you can't rely on the mainstream media. Yeah, to get yeah, your yeah, so it's more it's more the Alex Jones type setup, right? You know, you just need the green screen and then some rough semblance of a desk and you're good. But all the simulated news footage in this is so bad. It opened. It, that was another piece. Like uh, when they're doing the uh, the excavation in the original one, we get a bunch of simulated news footage of them talking about what they're doing. Which is like, is this really the best way to deliver this information? So now, because somehow um, Annabelle Wallace has become an expert on Amanet, she delivers additional exposition about the knife. 
because uh, apparently it's not just any knife. It's a real special knife. And that, and more than just the knife, it also has a very special jewel. And it's when the jewel and the knife are mated together that, you know, the real, the real magic can happen. Um, and that's what they discovered in this, the Knights Templar. So, I mean, like, we've already had all this exposition. Like, he literally just shows us the same scenes that we've already seen that were played out before, but with just a different person narrating over the top of them. Maybe it'll like, stick this time. Like last time it was Russell Crowe narrating. Now it's Annabelle Wallace narrating. The shots are the same. The information is the same. Everything is the same. But when we showed it, when you showed it to us at the beginning, that was directed at us, the audience. Now it's directed at Tom Cruise so that Tom Cruise can know these things because he needs to know it for the movie to progress. It is stupid. Incredible. Because why couldn't you just have saved them for right now? Why did we open Why did we spend the first 10 minutes of this movie showing us all that stuff just to show it to us again here and this is the kind of stuff that is just so frustrating to me because it's wasteful right it's it's wasting they could have done something time. else interesting during the movie but instead they did that right because they were afraid we would forget we wouldn't remember the knights templar hey do you remember that red jewel that the knights templar had it wasn't just any red jewel when we showed you that in that really long shot and we showed where the guy was buried and who was buried with it you know, we got it. You got to know what that is. Then we get our American werewolf in London homage as he's talking to Vale. And I mean, it's still Jake Johnson, so it's he's very attractive, but they make they do a good job of making Jake Johnson look disgusting in this movie. They do. Um, I, I and it feel it doesn't feel like makeup either. It almost feels like they've CG'd him somehow. He's so flat and pasty it just it doesn't look like an applique it looks like something done after the fact i i again i just i don't mm. but anyway so now he goes from being like insane stabby murdery man to oh remember me i'm funny chris vale i'm dead now and i'm disgusting but now i'm funny again that made no sense it doesn't and again it just serves all he does is tell her that is tell him that she has plans for you. Which again, he's dead. How would he know that? Just, and like a, we we already know that. Right. We've yeah, already been obvious. shown that and told that in several different ways at this point. <laughs> I, I feel like I understand, you know, what she's trying to do. I don't really need to be told that again let alone by a new character. Right. And so now we enter what is, what is without a doubt, this, this like 20 minute section of the movie is just flat awful because it is just a series of scenes of Tom Cruise running away from Sophia Butella, who is growing in power, right? Like, Everything is, she's getting, she's, you know, 
getting more zombie guys and she's, you know, slowly returning to her, you know, beautiful mummy-licious self. <laughs> right. And and so really it's just a bunch of badly staged action sequences where Tom Cruise well, there is a scene where he gets covered in rats, which frankly I find just I enjoyed that scene. Just watching I did too. be covered in rats was was surprising. Now you're like us. <laughs> yeah, it's like I'm covered in rats. Welcome, you fuck. welcome, welcome to America, bitch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Tom Cruise, who is American, welcome to America. Well, he's covered in rats. <laughs> yeah, we're all covered in rats here. Dennis. <laughs> um, but. <sighs> So then he's just he's bad, badly stage scenes. He's fighting CG zombies, and it's mostly just Tom Cruise staring at tennis balls and punching air. And it's really obvious that that's what's happening. Then uh, I guess Aminet figures out where the knife is. Uh, we, if we know how, it's not emphasized. No, but you know Tom Cruise is still sort of fighting back and they get the knife away so that, you know, her plan can't be complete. Cause she realizes that the knife doesn't have the jewel in it anymore. Like she figures out where the knife is, but she doesn't have the jewel. So the ritual can't work. And then I absolutely love after they escape her, he like gets in an ambulance and just takes the F off. Like he's going to leave the, like he's going to leave the girl behind the girl for whom he is about to sacrifice everything, but he was just like, ah, fuck her. Yeah, like, uh, we got to get the hell out of here. Did you see that? That was crazy. Uh, it's just, it's, uh, again, I could see some screenwriter, Alex Kurtzman, <laughs> being that screenwriter here, saying, oh, this will be funny. He's going to ditch her. And then she'll be like angry about it and he'll just be like, did you see that? That was crazy. And and then the audience will be like, yeah, that was crazy, bro. That was crazy. I would totally ditch the girl that I sacrificed my life to save. Definitely. But it turns out most people wouldn't do that. No. Um, then uh, action sequence, more, I mean, dumb zombie stuff. I, all the zombie stuff in this is stupid. Like, I just don't care for it at all. Um, I mean, it's not the, I guess it's not the worst thing in the world, but I don't know what it is about a CG zombie man, but they do not do anything for me. And they're just especially goofy in this one for some reason. I, I guess they tried to do like the thriller thing where they're all like bendy and their their limbs aren't in the right place. But part of the problem with telling me that our main character is indestructible and essential to the villain's plan is that I'm not going to find it threatening when one of her zombie lackeys attempts to harm him. Yeah. Right. It's, it's the Superman problem, right? Like it's very difficult to make me feel anything about Superman because I know he can't be hurt. So you it's, have to, you have to change the rules of the game if you want me to feel tension. That's why so Kryptonite were, is a centerpiece of every Superman movie. Exactly, because they don't know what else to do with him. 
right? Um, the answer is you make him emotionally vulnerable. That's that's what you do with Superman. His emotions and the vulnerability of, of how he feels and what he thinks becomes, you know, centerpiece. Or you come up with some other dumb reason for why he can't use his powers. You know, whatever. It's, it's not that hard. But so Super Tom Cruise, you know, he can't he can't die she needs him alive so she's not going to kill him you know so what am i supposed to be afraid of here like what is what is the danger there but, is none but then we get a crow ex machina a deus ex russell because who shows up but prodigium and Ooh. As a person who writes things and has has written comic books and genre novels for many years, I have I have thought extensively about cool secret society names, right? Like, ooh, what do we want to call this? Like, super top secret agency, right? MI fourteen, you know, whatever. Uh, what do we get here? Prodigium. Uh, which they justify it. They try to explain what prodigium means. It doesn't matter. No one cares. It's stupid. <laughs> it just sounds dumb. It's dumb to say. And they tr they're trying so hard to make this cool. And, I mean, this movie's trying really hard to do a lot of... Things. Kind of uber, <laughs> super dumb things. Um, but this, this one, this single sequence as he is taken into the, I'll go ahead and call it the bowels of prodigium here is just so obviously pandering and lame that it makes me feel kind of bad for the movie. Like I, I legitimately feel bad for the movie here because it's trying to do things that, it never really should have been asked to do and and frankly can't do it just can't um so as we are are walking through prodigium so again i just i want to i want to set the scene here right so we have a super secret agency right an agency that exists underneath the other agencies of the world you know the people behind the curtain behind the veil the bprd if you Exactly. And when you bring someone to this facility to be interrogated, to protect them, to find out who they are and, and what their goals are, maybe have a chat about dreams, ambitions, the only way to get them in to the facility is to walk them through your magic formaldehyde jar room. Yeah. Is, is that the, the path? Um, That's the official I'll entrance. <laughs> I'll go ahead and throw out another video game reference here, which I've been doing frequently here lately. But one of the things that a game like Control mm. gets very right is that if these agencies exist or we want to treat them as if they would really exist, they would be traditional bureaucracies. Yeah. They would have a receptionist. Yeah, they would look the part. Yeah, because that's how you go undetected is by looking the part. If every person that you bring into Prodigium 
has to be walked through the magical formaldehyde jar room with the vampire I'm, skull in it. I'm, I mean, like, Control, Hellboy, Men in Black, like, they all did it right. You had a lot of examples. Yeah, I, I again... It, this is it, a trope, but this isn't, like, a new thing. <laughs> no, uh, and I guess that's the issue, is that... Again, they're trying to do things in this movie that they shouldn't be trying to do at this point. Just like DC shouldn't have made Justice League the third movie in their series, they should not be showing us the formaldehyde jar room yet. Right? But they're desperate. They're desperate to help us know, hey, that's the arm of the creature from the Black Lagoon. Hey, that's the, the vampire guy. It's his skull. Right? Like, they're just... They have to. And it's wrong and it's clunky and it's pointless. I mean, that's the issue is it's ultimately pointless. It's all for naught. It means nothing to the film. And the fact that it didn't go anywhere really proves that it proves just how meaningless all of those references end up being when we didn't get that follow up. Now you look at it and it's, it's just hollow. It's just packing peanuts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's literally styrofoam packing peanuts. Absolutely no substance whatsoever. And then, um, and then we get like, I don't know, 20 minutes, 15 minutes of straight Jekyll and Hyde exposition as, as he sort of gives us the grand tour of what Prodigium is. Um, and this, this was the point where the film came to a complete standstill because They've set up so many balls that are now in motion. And and he Kurtzman literally doesn't seem capable of juggling them all while having the characters <laughs> do things. Juggling balls. And that's right. He's he's maybe gargling them, but <laughs> he's attempting to juggle them here and he can't, so we just get a bunch of scenes of these characters. In Prodigium, staring at Amonet as she's in whatever Mercury cage they've got her in, talking about things. And then we get possibly the greatest scene in the film where Annabelle Wallace attempting to attempting to generate real pathos, right? She, like she's attempting to create real emotion as she tries to connect with Nick and tell him, you know, you saved my life. You, you're, you're a good man. You're, you're capable of so much more. I'm so proud of you. And, and all of this like stuff that we've, we've seen absolutely no evidence of in this movie. I mean, he's attempted to ditch her at every turn. He's completely self-serving at all times. And then he confirms it here because as, as I thought I remembered, again, I've, I've watched this movie four times, which is a travesty of human nature. Um, he says, I thought there was another paragraph or another uh, parachute. I, th- I thought that I would have another parachute to escape with, and I was wrong. Sort of reinforcing that he's terrible, and this idea that she's built up that he's a good guy doesn't exist. And so my question here is, why? Why is he? Why is he not growing or changing? Because that's what characters should do under normal circumstances. Uh, yeah. He's going through very strange set of circumstances his best friend is a zombie man now who talks to him in the mirror and tells him that he's got special plans which he seems fine with that's all fine he's fought zombies 
he has been chased through the forest by a uh, demon tattooed woman without a cheek and then tossed about and seemingly is fine. So this guy has undergone radical stuff and he seems generally unperturbed by any of it. Right? None of it. He seems unaffected. Right? He's not even questioning his reality yet. He's just like, I don't know, man. It's weird. It's strange stuff, but whatever. It's crazy. Um, so this character, I mean, in the, you know, the other thing that I feel bad is that Annabelle Wallace's character, I mean, if if the timeline of this is accurate, it's been what, two days since yeah. they met? Maybe three, depending on how long he was, you know, quote unquote, asleep after the plane crash. Um, and so the the major interaction that they had prior to the plane crash was him having sex with her and then standing her up and sealing her stuff. And here she's made this 180 where she's like, you're a good man. You saved my life. You're I such a good person. You're a good person. It's like, it's, it's the worst kind of characterization, right? It's the laziest kind of characterization where you have a character who just tells us what we're supposed to think about another character, even though we've seen no evidence of that. Uh, and I'm glad that he deflates it. And says, you know, hey, I was trying to find another paragraph. Or, God, Because <laughs> you're a nerd. <laughs> That's, I'm a nerd. I'm thinking about paragraphs. Um, you know, he's, and so I'm glad he deflates it. But still, like, that character has absolutely no reason to even say these things in the first place. She should be furious at him. Because he is not getting it. He is not figuring this out. So they're in Prodigium. She's trapped. Amonet's trapped and they find the hidden sarcophagus, right? So the the giant room of sarcophagi from the uh, Knights Templar, not Mm -hmm. the right one, right? That was just a fake one uh, or, or a less important one. They had to bust up the floor and then they found the real one with the actual jewel and they used heat stuff to find it because it sets up, puts off heat because that's what jewels do. Jewels you know, radiate heat when they're mystical and inhabited by Set, the god of death. And I, I don't know why the characters want to talk to Aminet. Um which they they do. I, I imagine it's because Sophia Batella wouldn't really have much to do in this movie if the characters didn't didn't talk to her. But they well, yeah, do, when she's tied up, she can't do a sex. So that's true. You gotta or give her murder. something. Yeah, no, or no sex or I mean, if you if you can't do either of those things, then what really are you doing? Uh, and then we get the other like obvious inevitable thing that was coming, which is Jekyll needs to turn into into Hyde at some point, right? Like he he has no no choice because obviously that's what he's going to do. Because we're here and we're watching this movie. <laughs> that's right, and we know you know if you do <laughs> you know who this person is, right? Yeah. Uh, then there's like a subplot about Aminette controlling spy- other spiders like she did with Vale and um, biting guys in the ear and using them to get free. I, 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 I find it so hard to summon the, the desire to care because <laughs> all of these pieces are so obvious in the direction that they're going. 
Of course she's going to get free. Of course Jekyll's going to turn into Mr. Hyde. Of course Tom Cruise, who, may I remind you, is invincible, will be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do not hate the, the, the visual effect on Russell Crowe when he turns into Hyde. Um, you know, just the, uh, um, you know, just the eyes and, and sort of the, the change in his hair and, and stuff and the conversion into this, you know, darker thing. I, I even like the detail about him trying to get out of the room with his handprint and like the, the handprint system knows that it's Hyde and not Jekyll. Like all that stuff. Fine. Would have been I, great in a better movie. In a better <laughs> film would have been perfect. Instead, we get. A, a sort of shitty fight scene between Russell Crowe and Tom Cruise where not much happens, but yet we're supposed to feel like really tense about it. It's and mostly just Tom Cruise getting tossed the hell around. He's just yeah. getting brutalized. Yeah. Yeah. And again, we've established that he can't be hurt or killed. So it doesn't really matter. There's no stakes. There's no, there's no reason here. This is just filling time. Like, and honestly, with this movie more than anything else, that's what it feels like. It feels like there are just massive chunks of this film where they are going through the motions and filling time. We also right. have to talk about my least favorite part of the movie that oh, please, upset yes. me deeply. Um, during the fight with with Russell Crowe, she, Lady Ma'am, is also having a little fight with one of the guards... People. Uh, we'll call him Prodigiman. Be- yes. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, she she at one point beats him over the head with the prop for the Book of Life from the nineteen ninety nine Mummy movie. Yes, and um, boy, do I hate that. <laughs> yeah, this. The prodigium, you can tell, is where they decided to work in most of their, like, dumb Easter eggs from all kinds of stuff. But my other issue with this was I didn't know if... Are they trying to say that that mummy, like the Brendan Fraser mummy, is in this same universe? Is that what they're trying to say? Because please don't do that. Yeah. No one asked for that. It's like 70 years ago or 80 years ago or whatever that, you know, Brendan Fraser and and whoever, like, saved the world from that other mummy. You know, uh, it just, it was, it it felt like a Marvel cameo, you know, like it felt like, oh, hey, there's Stanley. Yeah. You know, and, but in this one, since it takes itself so freaking seriously. All it did was raise questions. I'm right. like, what are you saying? Because clearly that wasn't just a joke. Right. Is Arnold Vosloo in here somewhere? Because if oh, you bring I him back, I would be, it would be better. <laughs> this would all be better. Um, but of course, Aminette escapes. She makes a guy use an axe on electric stuff, which somehow makes her vomit up mercury because it's not pumping it into her system anymore. And like that, so much Something. is happening when she starts puking. Like it's it's so weird. It's just a weird everything going on action scene where it feels like it wants to to inject some mayhem into the movie, and it just falls <laughs> so flat. It's awful. 
Yeah, and and then she turns into a circus performer and starts doing like a a rope act, and she's climbing around and flipping on rings, and I I, I just don't I don't know. And so I guess it's kind of revealed now that Tom Cruise is like the chosen, right? Like he's, he's her chosen and that's, that's why he's special. Like he's the one that she's picked to do this ritual with. And, and then she calls him the God of death. Cause you know, they made a deal and he's still out there, obviously. And then we get another like mummy scene where, there's a sandstorm, but the problem is there's no sand in London. So how do we get our sandstorm in London? Well, we break all the windows. And I don't know if you're familiar with this, Catherine, but did you know that glass is, is silicate material like yeah. sand? Yeah. And if you break all the glass and then also perform massive molecular changes to it you can turn all of that glass into a sandstorm in downtown london you're a liar which, um i mean it's something i always wanted to see yeah. and so we get our classic mummy walking in the sandstorm and then turning the sand into a face and we get um, her in in her her mummy wraps which which form a perfect push-up bra Yes. I mean, when they wrapped the mummies, obviously there were there was a lot of consideration for the formation and support, support yeah. provided to the breasts. Um, I mean, it, it's it's and then after years, centuries nay, of decay, you would just have those essential components left. Yeah. And um, your nipples would be covered for sure. Oh, definitely. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's they knew what they were doing. <laughs> Nobody yeah. was going to take that kind of risk. <laughs> this scene has been criticized. The, the, the scene of, of, of uh, you know, the, the sandstorm and whatnot in a lot of ways. So I, I don't feel the need to nitpick it extremely, but I will just say that it is strange that there would, you would have a scene where two characters are standing in the middle of the sandstorm in the street, seemingly capable of, holding your ground just fine, even kind of moving around. And then a double decker bus on its side would be being pushed by the same wind so powerfully that you go inside of it. Um, because I, I mean, I don't, <laughs> I'm no physics professor. I don't know anything about velocity. I'm no science the, man. <laughs> the, the unladen velocity or the, 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 the velocity of an unladen swallow. I don't know these things. But if wind is powerful enough to move a double-decker bus laying on its side, I don't think you would be able to stand freely in the same street and wait for said double-decker bus to hit you. Wow. I mean, I'm just throwing it out there as a possibility. Think about it. Won't Movie you? magic. <laughs> we are suspending that disbelief. That's right. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna let it go. And so 
we're coming to the end, thank God, um, because all of our, our Templar knights in their little tombs, uh, she... We've been shown that she makes the zombies when she kisses them. Yeah. That's that's how the zombies get made, right? She sucks the life out, makes the zombie. But the, the old the kiss zombie the kiss. But apparently also now she can make all of the Templar zombies. They can all come back to life, too. Yeah. Which she this is aping. Th- this is aping the scene in the 90s mummy. Where they bring back Imhotep's guards and then the king's guards. Right, yes. So uh, just, it's, it's, it's the same. Bad. But it doesn't work here because we don't have any of the things that led up to what we got in that movie that made it cool. This just happens apropos of nothing. Yeah, we just we just get things happening without much explanation. Um, I mean, there's some nice, uh, I will say there's some nice dismemberment shots here. Like once Tom Cruise figures out that he's an unstoppable badass that can't be killed under any circumstances, uh, you know, he takes a two by four to a couple of them and just kind of chops them to pieces, which, you know, awesome. Great. Good job. But it, it just doesn't feel, none of it feels real and none of it feels like it has consequences. It's just, it's. It's nothing. It's literally nothing happening. There, it's whiz bang visuals, stuff taking place, but it's apropos of nothing. And if it was gone from the film, you wouldn't miss it. There would be nothing. I mean, you wouldn't say like, "Oh man, where's my where's my zombie decapitation scene?" It's like you wouldn't even imagine that it would need to be there. Okay, uh, we're in the, the end game now, thank God. Uh, Aminet has found her jewel, uh, the, temp- the, the resurrected Templar Knights, who again, how can she resurrect them? Why could she resurrect them? She seems okay with them, even though they stole her jewel and, you know... They took my up. jewels! They took my jewels <laughs> the and the family my jewels! They're my zombie buds. And again, it just, it feels like somebody who was like, I want to have zombies in medieval night garb. That's what I want. Well, and I mean, I do want just that. Did it. <laughs> I I thought I did, but then this movie showed it to me and I was like, eh. Yeah, this was not, this was not the right <laughs> venue for, for what I wanted. And this movie's last 20 minutes has like a real problem with characters having things to do. Because uh, Annabelle Wallace... I, she doesn't need to be here. She offers very little to the proceedings. Um, really, all she offers is an is is a is a counterpoint to Aminette being you know in love with Tom Cruise. That's it. It's like all she is now is Tom Cruise's uh, side piece for Aminette. Like I don't even know what to call it. It's so stupid because uh, she's she's being positioned as the woman of his, you know, the woman he loves, the woman that he will sacrifice all to save. But we have been shown absolutely nothing in this film to justify that level of feeling. And it just, it makes no it, sense. It's just, we're expected to, to be like, Oh, obviously, of course he would. And it, it just, it's terrible. 
But so she gets kidnapped because we have to have a scene where the mummy is threatening the beloved of the person that she's trying to manipulate because that's that's just what happens. Um, there's some good stunts. I, Tom Cruise gets tossed around some more. I mean, I will say this movie has has more Tom Cruise tossing than pretty much any other movie I've seen. Uh, he just gets hurled all over this place. Uh, there must have been crash mats everywhere because uh, he's just getting flung constantly. <sighs> okay, so the main thing that, that Aminette wants to have happen, and I guess we just we need to sort of explain it because nothing in the movie has led to this in any significant way. Aminette needs to kill Tom Cruise as some kind of sacrifice, I guess, in order to to complete the ritual that she was trying to complete after she murdered her family. Okay, so this ritual has something to do with death, maybe something to do with life as well. Don't really know. Not fully explained. The knife is important. If he breaks the jewel of the knife, the ritual can't go forward power the mummy compromised right does that make sense is that yeah yeah more or less (laughs) so rather than give the knife to the mummy to do the killing he stabs himself and we feel nothing when this happens no there's a lot of means nothing no, there's a lot of writhing Tom Cruise here. Um, and then, like, the power drains out of the jewel, so yeah. something happens. Um, and then his eyes split um, because the mummy, um, the mummy has two, two pupils. For, for some reason. I, Second, I mean, is that uh, that could be an Egyptian thing? I, I really don't know. I don't think it is. Uh, I don't think it is either. I think it's just an uh, it's a effect for the marketing department. But so he he stabs himself. He completes the ritual, but she doesn't get any of the power of it. Maybe um, again, not clear exactly what is happening. Um, but Tom Cruise is, is powerful now. He's he's like a mummy himself. Then he like calls her by the same name, like chosen something. Uh, again, I, I I don't know why this is supposed to be exciting or interesting, but we're told it is. And then as he's getting ready to kiss her or something, uh, he sees uh, Annabelle Wallace like dead in a puddle, and he starts feeling bad about it. And <laughs> You know, he's like, I feel bad. And then we get, and, and then again, we're shown scenes of them talking to each other. We're shown parts of the movie. And we're, we're shown parts of the movie that we've already seen relatively soon, like just 20 minutes ago. And Russell Crowe says, um, you know, you, you could make a sacrifice for all of humanity. You could stop all this, blah, blah, blah. And... Then he, because he is a mummy now, uh, one might even say the mummy, uh, he gives 
Aminet, the kiss of of the mummy, the kiss of death, and he sucks all of the life out of her. Even though she was a mummy. Even though she was already a mummy. So she sucked the life out of a whole bunch of dudes. <laughs> and then he sucked all of those dudes' lives out of her. And so now he's just chock full of lives. Just bursting to the seams with life. And everyone um, sucks. <laughs> he's just he's just got so much life, even though he didn't look bad to begin with. So you know, he's got life to spare, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so what he chooses to do with life is he, rather than taking it, which is what Aminat was doing, he gives it back. Because he's a good guy now. Because he has decided now, after seeing her in a puddle, that he needs to be nice to her. And, you know, we get a fairly... I want to call it a fairly typical Tom Cruise emotes scene. Uh, Tom Cruise has a very... I'm going to go ahead and call it a tight array of emotions that he is capable of displaying on a regular basis. Um, They are not varied, nor are they complex, but he is dependable in his ability to deploy them for the purposes of filmmaking. And he kind of gets one of those here. It's like his sad, angry self. And and then we see like the the monster, I guess, that he's supposed to be because I I'm not really sure. I don't know. I mean, it's he looks like some kind of like fanged vampire. I think he's supposed to be set. I think that's what's happened. I Again, I've seen this movie four times, and I couldn't <laughs> tell you for sure. And I'm relieved, because I thought I was missing something. No. It's like, no, I'm watching just, this movie, and I still don't understand. There's just a lot going on behind this. I mean, there's a lot of deep, thoughtful complexity in this <laughs> script, provided to us by Alex Kurtzman. Um, I, I think he's supposed to... He's not just a mummy, right? Like, he is the mummy, but he's more. He, he's... Because he completed like the bargain with Set, right? Like that's the thing that I think is supposed to make him different. That he he did what Aminet wanted to do, but for the right reason instead of the wrong reason. So instead of revenge, he's gonna do good with his powers, maybe yeah. or something. But he also has fanged sharp teeth, which I. I never really saw that as being part of the mummy's persona, but let's go with it. So he sacrifices some part of his life to uh, to save uh, uh, Annabelle Wallace. And, and then he's like all in the shadows and he's like, I don't want to hurt you. Stay away from me. I'm a monster. You know, again... It's, all scenes we've seen before, all moments that have just been culled <laughs> straight from other films. <clears throat> yeah, I'm a monster. Look at me, I'm a monster. <laughs> right, and and so she she stays away. He's all in shadow, which I don't, you know, I, I don't know why. But I don't. I didn't understand that. I thought I thought we were going to get a big reveal, and then we didn't. No, no, it's like they didn't. 
it's like, like they, they didn't care. <laughs> it's like they don't know what they want the mummy to look like. Like, that's the thing. It's like they hadn't decided or they were incapable of deciding at this stage of the game what he's going to look like. So instead, he's just Tom Cruise in shadow, and then we flash back to the desert. And again, we get this like pointless voiceover where Annabelle Wallace is like, you were wrong about him. You are wrong all along. He's a good man. And it's like, but he's not. And nothing he's done has been good. Okay, so he saved your life. He gave life back to you. Okay, good, great, nicely done. But that's it. And and so, like, I again, I just don't get where her, like, dogged defense of his goodness is coming from. I think it would be a much more interesting film if she was cautiously, like, maybe he could be. Maybe... Maybe one day he'll figure out how to not be such an asshole, right? Like that at the, at the end of the movie, that is makes way more sense to me in terms of where her character would be in her relationship with him if that was the case. But whatever. So we we're we're wrapping up now. Uh, so we see Tom Cruise now as the Mummy. So he's got his wraps on. He's in his desert gear. He's back out in the deserts of iraq i guess why would you go to egypt don't go to egypt go back to iraq um and he looks at least you know what we can see he looks totally normal <laughs> i mean i guess he's got like the the double eyes thing maybe we, we don't really get close enough to see i suppose but we do find out that he has resurrected veil which is is good, I guess. Um, I, I, I'm curious as to how uh, and and also sort of why. And is it really the mummy's job to give life? <laughs> is, that, is that one of his abilities? Yeah, <laughs> to bring people back from the dead. Uh, I guess again, that's maybe one of the set powers. God of death means you can also resurrect. Maybe I guess. Sure, makes sense. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> makes so many noises about the end of this movie. <laughs> it just, it ends. It's such a wet fart. Like, it, it's, you could tell, like, they think it's awesome, right? Like, oh. Epic. <laughs> epic. He's in the desert. And, and like, his last line is they're, they're re-encasing Aminet in, in, uh, in, in Mercury again, right? So obviously there's sequel baiting her that she could get out again. She's not really dead, which, okay, fine, whatever. You need a, another villain at some point. But then there's this huge thing at the end where Jekyll and Annabelle Wallace, Julie, Julia, whatever her name is, are discussing, like, he could be our greatest ally. And then the last line of the movie is Jekyll saying, sometimes it takes a monster to defeat a monster. And I was like, and that was another one. Like, I laughed out loud. Like, yeah, oh, why did that happen? My God. The, I mean, like, did somebody have like a clown nose on in the writer's room? And they're saying, could we be more on the nose? 
and it's just the cheesiest thing um and and then the last shot is like them is Vale and and uh nick like riding across the desert with a sandstorm at their back it really just needed like a freeze frame of them you know pumping their fists in the air like let's get them and then it has like triumphant music at the it was so cheesy and unexpectedly cheesy because the the movie was so serious and it it was committed to the seriousness right and then at the end you see that they are riding towards like the three pyramids this basically the same shot of the three pyramids uh, of the the great pyramids that we saw with sophia butella implying that they're going to go do something but they're gonna do some stuff (laughs) they're gonna do some stuff i i just this movie is so bewildering to me and i i kind of love it because it's so off the wall bad but produced at this incredibly high level i mean you know this is the kind of thing that i would expect somebody to try and do on like a sci-fi channel movie like this, the the story level, like the level of the story of this film, is a Sunday afternoon sci-fi special. Like that's what this is. But then it's executed at this full-blown, big-budget studio epic blockbuster level, and and the two things are so wildly divergent from each other that it's just fascinating. It is fascinating to me that this exists as a thing. Um, you know, and I don't know what it is about Universal, but they seem they seem the most susceptible to this. It seems like every couple of years they have some massive write down of a, a huge project that just went totally south. You know, I mentioned Forty Seven Ronin earlier. That was purposeful because before this one, that was their their previous like huge flop like they spent hundreds of millions of dollars and that movie made back nothing and and they just keep doing it i'm i'm thankful because after the dismal performance that this had it does seem like they're going to a much better model for this kind of movie Right, they're going back to these smaller horror films, like actual horror films, you know, not blockbuster action films with horror characters in them. And and I, you know, if Invisible Man is where they're going to let people go with some of these characters, if if that's the style that we're going to get, then they are on the right track. That is what we need because Invisible Man is amazing. Yeah, right? it was like that, really that film is incredible. So I, I hope that that's the plan. I, I think it is. But this just seems like such a misstep. Um, you know, you can see how it would make sense on paper, right? Because the Mummy movies, the Stephen Summers Mummy movies were big. You know, they weren't super expensive at the time, but they were blockbuster films, you know, produced with, with a high level of, of uh, fidelity. So, oh, we're going to do that again, but now we're going to take this check. I honestly think that this movie could be workable if it just didn't take itself so damn seriously. Yeah. Like it's so self-serious that it's, it, it makes the full circle and it becomes comedic. And I just, I, so many bad choices made throughout the production of this movie. 
So I guess, uh, do you have anything else, any other scenes you wanted to talk about? Cause no, that, that uh, it was just all bad. It's, it's just so strange. Um, baffling, baffling movie. It, yes. Baffling is the term. It just, it doesn't seem like it should be a thing that exists, but yet it, here it is. And we just, we just talked about it. So I guess let's go ahead and get into our, our one thing, because this is a movie that has many potential one things that might help save it. I don't think any one particular thing could do the job, but I'm curious, what what do you think could potentially steer this ship in a better direction? Uh, I'm not sure. I, I have an idea, but what I do you think? Th- I think... Uh, um... I kind of feel like a simple, simple change is what set this apart from the Star Trek movies that Alex Kurtzman worked on. They have a likable cast of characters. (laughs) Central characters that everyone knows and loves. Um, and those characters were already established by someone else long before Alex Kurtzman ever started diarrheaing all over the place. Um, so I feel like if you replaced Tom Cruise's character, not Tom Cruise, I, I think Tom Cruise should be in it. Yeah, Tom but Cruise if you is fine. if you rewrote that character to be oh I don't know likable, nice. <laughs> Maybe even played up that he's a bit of a goof. Like, I, I kind of liked the Uncharted thing when I noticed that. I was like, oh, you know, it'd be nice if he was more like Nathan Drake. I mean, funny and good looking. Just, you know, not an asswipe. Um, but still kind of an asswipe. Right. Like, a bit of asswipery is fine. Like, yeah. go ahead, be an asshole. But you have to be an asshole that at the end of the day... I still am rooting for you. Yeah, and you have I to figure to it out or succeed. I mean, because the whole idea of him sacrificing himself to become the mummy to save the world, I guess. Yeah. Why would he has, care? Has zero resonance if you're a dick. And that's the thing about right? Indiana Jones that, you know, it's the reason everybody loves that character is that there is something sort of morally upstanding about Indiana Jones that leads him down that path of doing the right thing, even right. though he doesn't want to. But yeah. but this version, this this Nick Nick Borton, what Morton. what is this? Bor- Morton. I am Nick Morton. I am Nick Morton. Um, he is, I don't buy it. I don't buy him as a hero. I don't buy him as a likable person. I don't even really buy him as a central character because he didn't really have that much to do or say that we cared about. Um, so I think if you rewrote that character, you would have a movie that more people would see. Oh, for sure. Um, I mean, if this is designed to be a big blockbuster vehicle, you need that character that I want to come back and watch again. I mean, this is the exact problem with the DC films. It's the exact same thing. They take themselves so seriously that they can't even make Superman likable. Like Superman is a dick in those movies. 
And I understand it's supposed to be like Superman begins. He's figuring out how to be the nice guy. And then Joss Whedon and Justice League swung the door so far in the other direction that it hit its own. He hit Superman in his own ass because he swung the door so hard. But it's like you you have to have that at the center of it or else I don't want to watch. You know, realism is not is no substitute for a character that I want to see win um, and I want to see successful. I mean, you can make him unlikable as long as you do the work to convince me that he's still worth my time. And this exactly. movie doesn't do that. No. Uh, not even if it a little tries, bit. Not even then. It's not close enough. I mean, so mine's kind of along the same lines. But what I think would do wonders for this movie is to just simplify it. To take the epic sheen off. Because one of the things, I mean, we've talked a lot about the the Brendan Fraser mummy movies, and, and those are epic in scale, right? They're big. But at the same time, they're very small films. Like, it is, it's simple stories, simple activities. It, it's, it's stripped down. And this one, I think, could do that. So my, my general thinking is this. Get rid of all of the Knights Templar bullshit, the prodigium Oh my yes. God. All gone. All gone. If you want to hint at the prediction, if you want to have Russell Crowe in it as a mysterious figure representing mysterious agency, fine. Fine. Go ahead. Um, you could still pull that off. But this needs to change into the... if. To me, it is the story of a grave robber who gets redeemed and understands that you there are some things you shouldn't mess with right like that's the story here and in many ways it is the story of the original uncharted right like you could sort of just transpose that in here so we open in iraq in, in much the same way except smaller scale it's not a city full of terrorists they're sneaking into a city to try and find some location under the radar they get in successfully things go wrong they open up something, it triggers the population because they know what it is, they know to stay away from it, and they get pissed off and the firefight starts because they, they're like, don't let this out. Don't do what you're about to do. Then they let it out because they're greedy and they make a bad mistake. And that sets into, a, into motion a chain of events. Nick has actual contact with the mummy. The sarcophagus pops open. There's something else there. You know, whatever. Makes physical contact. And there's a point of connection between the two of them that he can't explain. Vale keeps trying to sort of pull him in the right direction. Because that's the thing that this movie's missing. You could tell they set it up that Vale was supposed to be like his conscience. Yeah. Right? Vale's the one who's supposed to be telling him the things that he should be doing. But either those scenes where he's offering those directions and directives were cut, which is my guess, or they never really understood the function of that character in redeeming the hero. And instead, he just became a joke character. He became a way to deliver exposition and humor. But so they do this thing that they shouldn't have done. They unleash this evil. They attempt to escape it by going to London. They're not taking it back to London because that's stupid. They, they run and it follows them, right? It follows them there. They feel like they're safe. They feel like it's okay. Here it comes in. 
that's where Russell Crowe enters and says, I know what's after you. I, I can help you escape it. He delivers the exposition. We find out about Aminette. Aminette needs a guy in order to complete this thing. They've been waiting for her return, but they didn't know where she was buried. Thanks for uncovering that for us. We've already excavated the site. Here's all the shit we found. You know, like you could pace this movie out and have a lot of the same beats, a lot of the same action shit if you feel like you have to have it. But just simplifying, streamlining the story if he has to have a love interest that he must save, then it's either somebody at Prodigium or you try and work it out that it's, it's, you know, this researcher that he used to know. And maybe he didn't steal this tip from her, but he stole another thing from her in the past. Right. And so she doesn't trust him. And now she's working with Prodigium or whatever. Right. Like that to me, is a much more compelling thing that he's got all this history with this girl. Like I've known her for years, not a week and she doesn't trust me anymore because I, I betrayed her way back when. And you know, now we have this bad blood and now I have to earn her trust back. And I've always kind of had a thing for her, but I didn't really know what to do with it. Like you've got so much more room to grow those characters instead of, well, we had a one night stand four days ago and now I'm going to literally lay down my life to save yours multiple times. Cause that doesn't make sense. But if it's somebody that I've known for years, maybe we were in college together or something, whatever. Um, and I, I want to know why they made him a soldier. Why yeah. is he in the army? That was weird. Because if if he is, then for the last like three or four days of this movie, he's AWOL. <laughs> right. I mean, I know he died, so maybe the military's okay with that. But he's it, soldiers generally don't just get to run around and do whatever the hell they want. <laughs> but this movie seems content with saying they kind of can. If you're a forward recon guy, you can just kind of go wherever. And so, like, it would have been so much easier if he was just a dude. Yeah. Just a treasure hunter who maybe pretended to be in the military so that he could get access to places. I mean, who knows? But so that for me, that's uh, it's more really more than one thing. It's like a fundamental restructuring of what the movie is doing. But I, I think it needed that kind of simplicity. And then maybe in the second movie, if you ever got to make it, um, you could go bigger, right? Once you've built that character, you've built the world they live in. But one of the things that drives me nuts about movies like this is when they just don't have rules. You know, there's no established rules for what you get to do. And this is something that the original mummy did very well is it, you know, Arnold Vosloo's mummy had rules, had things it was trying to do. Right. Not just stab the man wherever I can stab him to complete the ritual that I started X thousand years ago. He I need to do this and then I'm going to resurrect my love. And then once I resurrect my love, we'll finally have, you know, we'll be together forever and we'll rule. And like he's got this he's got a plan, an understandable arc of things that he wants to complete. And in this one, this mummy has none of that. I just need to kill the man. And she like has like seven opportunities and never does it. So, okay. So that's that's where I'm at. And after watching this multiple times, I've thought about it way more than I should. But that's kind of where I'm at. Because I'm like, maybe that's where my fascination comes from. Is because I think there is a movie inside of this movie 
that could have been hugely successful. And the fact that so many people contributed to making it something so awful is absolutely frustrating to me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's just, I mean, not that any movie's ever a slam dunk, that there is no such thing. Maybe Marvel, maybe Avengers Endgame, maybe that was a slam dunk. Maybe. But this could have been something and i'm i'm sad that it's not because i do love the universal monsters uh i'm not a huge connoisseur like i don't watch wolfman every you know halloween or anything like that but i, I have an appreciation for the bella lugosa dracula bella lugosi dracula obviously frankenstein's beautiful and you know there's there's a lot of action here to be mined and to see them just so epically screw it up is both hilarious and and endlessly frustrating um, it's it's the way i felt after watching freddy versus jason <laughs> it's like watching that movie and just being like how in the hell did they screw this up this bad how can you take a literal slam dunk of an idea something that should have been so simple and get it so wrong. I, it's just, it, it didn't make sense to me. And this doesn't either. But. All right. Well, I guess we need to, uh, to either recommend or not the mummy. Um, so I'll actually go first on this one uh, <laughs> because I actually would recommend this. Uh, my score is low. This is a 55. It is a fail. This is an F of a film. But it is worth watching because, A, it's, it's a competently produced film. It's not inept. Um, it's not good, but it is also not, you know, an asylum film. It's not Sharknado, right? It's not, what is this? Um, and as an artifact, it's truly something that we only get to see every couple of decades which is a movie studio taking a huge swing and just whiffing it at every level (laughs) um which it's so rare to see these days like the you just don't get it like back in the 60s and 70s you know you'd see like king kong 2 and stuff where it was like wow or you know, this, whatever, like the second Poseidon adventure where you'd be like, really, you guys keep going this direction. Um, but you know, just, it's, it's really strange to see a, a huge blockbuster movie, just not it doesn't, anything right. It doesn't feel like this can happen anymore. Yeah. It just seems like the, the machinery of Hollywood is too complicated and dense to get a project like this through. Thought we had system. measures in place. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just the money itself, just somebody being, having the guts high enough enough to say, I'm shutting this down. This can't, this cannot be completed. Um, but nobody did. I guess Universal was desperate. And they're like, just put it out there, man. See what happens. But I, I think the hubris is what killed them too. Just the belief that they could kickstart a cinematic universe with one movie is is definitely evident here and and it is definitive proof 
that you can't do it. Like if you're going to build a universe, you've got to do it the Marvel way. You take your 10 movies and you just eat it. You, you take the fact that Thor 2 is going to be a piece of shit and there's nothing you can do about it. But it doesn't matter if Thor 2 is a piece of shit because we're going to put out Avengers next year and that's going to be... Everyone will forget about this Thor 2 debacle. Everybody will forget that Thor 2 happened and no one will care. And then we'll throw a dark elf in another movie in a cage and you'll be like, hey, I remember those guys. And no one will think about it ever again. And that's okay, right? Because when you build it that way, you can. Um, So the mummy should have been the Thor 2 of the dark universe. But unfortunately, they led with Captain America, the first of the yeah, This was their Iron Man. <clears throat> this was their Iron Man. And, and man, it, it, it was bad. It's, it's a wicker man and it's mm. on fire <laughs> for the entire time. Um, my, so, yeah, like I said, my, I recommend it, but only because it's a delightful train wreck. I'm not quite the authority on this film that you are. I've only seen it the one time. Um, that's probably for the best. I don't know if I'll be able to manage a second time. I mean, I'm thinking about it, but wow. Mm. Um, so I don't think I can recommend this movie based on my experience. Um, I completely understand. I, I actually think I would, oh man, I can't believe I'm going to say this. I would rather watch gods of Egypt again because Mm. at least that was hilarious. Right. Yes. Um, So I I came out at a 50 for this because I was like, I, this failed my class. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. This is terrible um, because it's just boring. It's, oh, puppy. Um, it's just boring. It's the worst kind of boring. Um, it doesn't add anything to the universal monsters. It doesn't add anything. Uh-uh of value to the universe and if anything all it does and this is this is the greatest sin of movies to me is if you make me think of a movie that i like better and would rather watch and it yeah. made me think of the 1999 summers movie enough times that that's what i would rather watch <laughs> yeah no it's the reference i mean again it's it's the kurtzman curse it's I he references so directly and so obviously better films that all they do is cast a shadow on the film that he's currently making because yeah. all you can do is think about how good that movie that he just referenced was. And you know, it's the the 1999 Mummy movie, it's it's uh you know, American Werewolf in London. I mean, it's it's all of these sort of like genre classics that are far better than what you're currently engaged with. And the, I just cannot, the second act of this movie is just garbage. Like the, it's, it's just terrible. Um, the moment the plane crashes, the movie just derails completely and then kind of gets back on the rails for the last like 20 minutes, maybe, but only because it's like, I just want to see where this thing crashes. I want to see what tiny, tiny village in in northern England is is going to take the brunt of this because that's the only way this is going to go. Is we're we're getting a derailment and nothing's going to stop it. And that's exactly what happens. But uh, again, I think it's it's also the issue of trying to 
take the monster and turn it into the hero like that yeah. that fundamental conceit is, it doesn't work here it does not work here it sort of works in the invisible man sort of but man sort does of. it earn it and and the heroism question is very much up in the air at the end like i, I don't want to spoil that movie because if you haven't seen it you should but this movie just trying to make the mummy become the next hero. I mean, for his last line to be like, where's your sense of adventure? Made like, no what? Sense. That was so <laughs> what weird. are you talking about? So weird. Um, you just told your girlfriend that you're a monster and you can't be loved and no one can see you. And now you're out in the desert with your buddy being like, let's go have an adventure, pal. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. So uh, it's it's a mess, but it's such a beautiful mess. Such a gorgeous jackson pollock painting of a movie just i'm gonna splatter all this crap everywhere and see what sticks and see what doesn't um and that's not a, and I, i'm not trying to insult jackson pollock i love jackson pollock but like looking at this movie it's like that's pure, the technique it's pure incoherence right it's just splattering stuff onto the frame and hoping that somebody finds something interesting in it without purpose or direction um, so it's a it's a bad Jackson Pollock imitation, just like everything Alex Kurtzman does. It's a bad imitation of something else. Um, but I've done the womp womp so many times this so episode. Times. <laughs> this is like an eight womp womp episode, which uh, is is definitely high quality. But I think it it is the ultimate Kurtzman exercise, right? The hubris of building an entire franchise from scratch. And thinking you can do that in two hours and believing that you can pull that off without all of the background work necessary to, to make that happen. I, I think this movie, it was obvious what was going to happen from the beginning. And again, the fact that nobody at Universal stopped it is the real treat because we get to see just how wrong that things can go. <laughs> Yeah, but all right. So that is the Mummy 2017 mixed. Definitely not a failure piece. Uh, more on the failure than the piece for sure. Uh, but <laughs> it was a piece it, of something. <laughs> it's a piece of something. But it uh, it definitely has some interesting interesting things going on. That uh, I've I've found surprisingly interesting to go back and try and, and suss out. Um, a lot of it, though, has just been trying to figure out what the hell is going on because the movie seems very uninterested in making it clear. So, all right. So, where can you be found on social media? I can be found on Twitter at Baskinator. Very nice. And I can be found on Twitter at T Baskin. And if you want to get us, we can be found at FPS Theater on Twitter and FailurePiece at gmail.com if you would like to get in touch uh we are excited about uh bringing you guys another film next week uh we certainly enjoyed discussing the mummy um maybe not a failure piece but it's a piece of something and uh maybe it'll be worth your time if you're into mm. that kind of thing uh but thanks for hanging out with us for another couple of hours and we will see you next time bye bye